1: to tip today 1800 938 007 that's our free phone number it won't cost you to make a call Ali is producing today she'll be glad to hear from you coming up on the show this morning the ongoing protest at Racket Hall Country House Hotel in Ross Grey we've lots of listener contributions to the show this morning Thomas Conway will provide some insights on global politics and uh, positive news about that man who was missing in a Tipperary additionally we will have a panel discussion discussion even on temporary women in business so all of that and much much more on the way you can text and whatsapp double three double one. you can email tip today at tipfm.com we have a lovely prize for you as well I tell you about that a little later on in the programme. Let's have a look at the front pages of your newspapers today. The Irish Indo is dominated by a photograph of the Cabinet Minister, Jack Chambers, who has said that the love and support of his family gave him the courage to announce that he's gay and he received cross-party support, I believe, including from the Taoiseach Leo Radcar, who announced he was gay himself in uh, 2015. I'm just wondering about nowadays... Does anybody care, really? I mean, that's his private life. Uh, The majority of Irish people, you know, couldn't give a hoot so long as he can do his job. But anyway, there you go. Uh, The Irish Daily Mail, also a picture of uh, Jack Chambers on that, saying, I'm proud to say that I'm gay. Also, the uh, main story on the front of the mail there, they're telling us that urgently needed new housing projects are under threat from anti-immigrant protesters. Politicians fear and government TDs have expressed concerns that homes will be burned down It made calls to cut rates for long-term Ukrainian uh, refugees to the Irish Times, dominated uh, there by a picture of uh, Mr. Donald Trump in Iowa, and uh, he was speaking there during a rally in uh, Iowa, and... uh, Today, Iowa uh, Republicans will be the first to select their party's nomination for the 2024 presidential uh, race when they go to caucus. But uh, seemingly, Mr. Trump is way, way ahead of anybody else uh, there. Also on The Times today, more than 320 unaccompanied children have arrived uh, into Ireland seeking asylum and are now in state care or accommodation with five unaccompanied minors arriving in the first four days of the year alone. Uh, also on the front page of the Times, the Medical Council has complained about junior doctors being required to do mundane, repetitive uh, tasks that it says should be performed by nurses and other healthcare care workers. The Irish Examiner, um, dominated by the most amazing photograph, in fact, from uh, Iceland there, because as you know, they have... Uh, More trouble there with uh, volcanoes, but the photograph is really remarkable and award-winning, as far as I could see anyway. um, Also, their main story, the cumulative impact of a series of cost increases, as well as the looming deadline to pay off warehouse tax debt, could lead to 1,000 business insolvencies this year, and that's according to the business consultants PWC. Uh, The other story on the front of the examiner, the operator of a facility housing asylum seekers, has been warned he had three days to shut it down by a group of anti-immigrant protesters who picketed his home. And uh, in videos which were spread online, in fact, a group of men, some of them masked Um, they went to the home of Tom Murphy there. So that's an indication of what's uh, on the front of your newspapers today, some of your newspapers anyway, and if you'd like to respond to that again we'd love to hear from you Oh, eight three three double one double three double one. Now as Paul told you there during news, hundreds uh, took to the streets of Ross Grey at the weekend to protest against the arrival of 160 international protection applicants which was announced on Thursday Here's some uh, audio from those who spoke at the protest on Saturday afternoon.
2: We is a friendly, welcoming people. It's a welcoming place. My
3: kingdom! The right. people
2: who have shown great generosity and spirit
4: of kindness to refugees already. A town with a great community spirit. A town that has coped with a lot of setbacks and a lot of adversities.
2: A town that is fighting back. And I have worked very closely over the past two years
5: with community groups here, community and voluntary groups. They have done fantastic work behind the scenes. The money that they're paying per night for the refugees, in many cases, not getting very well looked after. The poor buildings, is money has come in here and the wrote greed. That horrible water that has grown into our community the last 20 years or so. So I don't know. The choice is to keep asking, and I will contact the Racket Hall management. I haven't done so, but I will. If it's any good to me, I'm told they've to had a meeting with staff, and the staff, staff are supposed to be satisfied. I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I will ask them, and I'll be putting pressure on the government and, and continue my demand that we debate this issue at all in. We're debating it here in the street in Rosgrave. We can't, de- can't debate it in our parliament. It's unfair to put people
6: in Rosgrave or communities like these into the situation that they have been faced now
3: by decisions that have been up to this. People who are being given two and a half days, three days' notice, but they seem to have changed tactic again. This is a problem that has been there for the last two years and the government and that's where the blame must be laid lads is with a government that has failed for the last two years to actually bring people or communities together or explain and communicate
7: with communities.
8: I you know me with Trace Collins and I'm a firm campaigner with Sean Ross Abbey Ross Grey for the Mother and Baby Homes. Today I had a very hard task to do to come on to our page We're Still Here. To let my Americans, my Canadians, my English, my Europeans, brothers and sisters know that they have no place to stay this year for their commemoration in September. Now, I am totally shocked because we do support the Racket I know Hall men anyway, when they come. We come into the town of Raspberry. we take them around, take them on tours, and we bring them, introduce them to any place we can. These people are the ones that was taken out of here years ago from the mother and baby homes. Loves to come back, but they cannot come back this year to a commemoration that we are doing for years because they have no hotel and no place to stay.
1: And that's some audio from that public meeting in Ross Grey on Saturday last. Now, Derek Russell from Ross Grey Stand Up uh, joins me now. Good morning to you, uh, Derek, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Just to make the point, before we start, Derek, uh, we always associate you with the organisation Ross Grey Stands Up, but you're speaking on your own behalf here, not uh, on behalf of the organisation. Is that true to say?
2: Well, I would be speaking at the rally on the main street on on Saturday afternoon, that was on behalf of, of Ross Stands Up. And our aim there was to bring the five TVs in the February and the local councillors together and let people ask them the questions that, you know, everyone knows what the hot topic is at the moment. Mm. And... Uh, Matthew McGarrah took it upon himself to come from the far end, the Tipperary up. And mm. Michael Lowry attended, and Martin Brown attended. And um, you know, after that, that that was the public representation.
1: Mm. But so uh, tell us, who who friend, didn't friend who on, didn't attend that you wanted to attend, and that you might have uh, invited, well, Derek.
2: We we did invite everyone. You know, uh, we invited Jackie Cahill. We invited um, Alan Kelly. Now Alan Kelly person in the office said that Alan Kelly was out of country, and it's always the case, that was the case. Uh, yeah, but, like, we needed our, our local mm-hmm. po- po- um, county council reps there as well, and Brendan O'Connor, who's running for Sinn Féin in the next election now, he attended as well, mm-hmm. but, like, to, people had questions, and you had a, a bit of audio there, and you, you heard different speakers, you heard Theresa Collins even, making her point yeah. about, you know, people are forgetting about all these things. And, like, as it stands now, there's one B&B in Ross Grey. Yeah. You know, so, like, it's very hard to know what sort of signal they're sending out. There was a lot of money spent in Ross Grey last year on rejuvenation of the town and everything. The council done great work and whatever. And then to go and land a sucker punch like this. Mm.
1: What What was the general mood of the meeting, Derek?
9: People
2: were happy with the
1: representatives
2: that showed up and said their piece mm. and uh, look, some people said look, we've heard this before and whatever like that, but at least they showed up and said, and mm. said what they're going to do, as in from 9 o'clock this morning. You know, and that, that's what people want mm. to hear, like when you're in trouble, you need these people on your side, like
1: Right, but what exactly can they do from nine o'clock this morning? I mean, did they indicate what positive action they were going to take?
2: Well, Martin Brown said that he had contacted the Minister's office and he had contacted the Council on Friday and they promised to get back to him before the close of business, but neither did. And he said that he'd be taking that up again today. And Michael Lowry said that he was going to organise a, a meeting with uh, the minister again. Mm. And, you know, look, at least it's it's a, st- it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, there was a statement put out yesterday before I don't know which it was that Jackie Cattle said that, you know, he was going to get services for Ross Bay. But that's an old line for Ross Bay people because like all we're used to is everything getting taken out of Ross Bay. You know, I wouldn't think the people would believe that line unless they see the services for themselves.
1: Yeah, and what what services is he is he referring to? Do you know?
2: Well, the services that are badly needed is like we have all this influx of families from different countries, but we never got any extra teachers or SNAs. You know, mm-hmm. we all know there was a problem even from pre-COVID times. We didn't have enough of doctors with the sudden influx. Of a couple of hundred more people, that certainly has pushed that problem out of control altogether. You know, we're like everywhere else now. If you're looking for a doctor's appointment now, you're looking at four or five days unless you're having a heart attack or something.
1: Is is it fair to say, though, on the platform, you didn't have any actual representative of the government? I mean, you didn't have somebody from a government party there, did you? Uh,
2: No, like... Or the government representative that should have been there was Jackie Cahill. Like, he's, right. his party is in power at the moment.
1: And, and what about a councillor? Was there any councillor from a government party there?
2: No, there wasn't. No, uh, as I say, um, the only person that was there was Brendan O'Connor, who was going forward for Sinn Féin in the local elections.
1: Right, but but in terms of a government party, there there wasn't anybody?
2: No, there wasn't, no.
1: Right, but but people must have been very disappointed with that, surely.
2: Very disappointed, yes. And as I said to you earlier there, it's now in the time of crisis. Like, these people should be working for you the whole time, but when you're in a time of crisis, they should be on overtime, I like.
1: mm. So Somebody said over the weekend as well, I, I can't remember who, but, you know, they were concerned that Ross Grey uh, would be seen as a place that is not hospitable and not welcoming. I mean, that, that's a bit much, isn't it?
2: It It is a bit much, but, like, who has put it into that position on the government? Mm. Like, to go along and spend all the money up the main street and at the square and everywhere else to rejuvenate the town and then come along and take the the lifeblood out of it again, you know, by closing down the hotel on it.
1: In the Sunday Indo yesterday, there was a letter from uh, the Taoiseach and he said a lot of things in it, but one of the things that he said was, uh, I know that the opening of new accommodation centres can cause genuine concern in communities. It's particularly so in smaller communities than those that have already experienced, and this will be Roscray, a lot of change due to migration. I understand that, but it's essential that people's fears are acknowledged and that information is provided. Now, what fears were acknowledged and what information was provided before this announcement on Thursday? Uh, Absolutely nothing. None whatsoever?
2: No. no, none whatsoever. And it's time for the people that come out and try and put a good spin on these things to stop putting a good spin on it because they're telling light.
1: So there was no. no information, no fears allayed, no, no no extra services put in place? No,
2: no. If, if any other business was ran the way the government was being... Business is being ran. The manager would be fired. Like if if we were the way the whole uh, asylum seekers or uh, refugees, Ukrainian, the whole thing is being handled. If that was a business, it'd be gone out of a business from bad management. And like the most think that we're real fools all together down here. Like Roger Kogami comes out with the same line the whole time. Uh, you know. Uh, I'm not a very well-educated person, but I will come out with something better than he comes out with. Well,
1: what is that? That notion that, you know, as a democratic oh, country, we, we, to, we, we yeah, can't veto yeah. on who our neighbours are or who comes into work. Yeah, and,
2: and like I've heard it on your programme, there there is people in Tiberi sleeping in cars and mm. uh, you know, heard a, another story on your station one day about people that put up a timber house and the council made him come and take it down. That's
1: right, that's right. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. like, what do you do if you want them to take it down? Give them a, give them a house. Yeah.
1: And he, he know, put it up like, uh, at his own cost, on his own site. Yes. Um, and,
2: like, he was trying. Yeah. And, you know, we the people in Australia know the bad condition that uh, convent had got into from lack of use and whatever yeah. over the years. Yeah. And the money that could be poured into that and still the housing for, uh, for the people of Ireland and the people of Roscray, especially now that we're in the position we're in, like, well, housing and that could, be, could um, have been paid for out of all this. It's unknown, like, yeah. like, why didn't we look after our own and then if we had more money and more space, take in these people?
1: And, and Derek, could I make this quite clear to people who mightn't know the story of Gray. Over decades, Gray has been extremely... Welcoming to people from overseas and people of other nationalities, because so many of other nationalities has been have been working in Rossgay over the years.
2: That's very true, Fran. And Roscrea is a great town to run functions and everything for overseas charities, yeah. and and you know this is the slap in the face you get for it. And it's you know like it's, as I said to you, it's so ill thought out of. You'd wonder why you would have to have diplomas and everything to work in some of the departments. If that's the way the things going to be ran, you know, and if that's what the leaders think, or or that's the way the leaders is leading the country, well, we're all in for trouble in in a lot of different areas.
1: What now, so as f- as as far as you can tell us, Derek? What what is the current story, and where are we going with this? I mean, is this a fait complete at this stage? Will this go ahead?
2: Well. I would like to think that it wouldn't go ahead, and I'm sure everybody in Rossberry and the surrounding areas uh, wouldn't like to think that it's going to go ahead. But I find, uh, you know, uh, there's people out protesting and keeping a 24-hour vigil there at the moment. But like they have their own lives to live as well, and you know I can't speak for them, but it's very hard for them to keep 24-hour vigil there and. You know, try and hold down a job and look after families and whatever else goes with it as well. But like, if if Roger McGovern come down and talk to the people at the racket hall and tell them something, but the cowardly way that the thing is done, you know, and like if so we were going bringing in all these people into Rossville, did not they put the services in first and did bring the people.
1: And and that is the question because I yeah. mean that that's what uh, Leo Vradkar said in the Indo yesterday. That is the ideal situation. That's what should be happening. He said it's but essential that Amanda people's power. fears are acknowledged and information provided.
2: He's yeah, the man that has the power to do it all. Yeah. All right. And like and you don't have to be any particularly uh, aligned to anyone or anything or. Uh, Whatever. But it's like, it's a wrong, and it's a wrong on the people of Ross Grey, and it's a, another wrong on rural
1: Ireland. All right, Derek, we'll be following the story, needless to say. And thank you for your time today, Derek. Thank you, and good morning to you. Thank you, Fran. How about you now? And that's uh, Derek Russell speaking to us there. Let us go to Brendan O'Crahur now, and uh, Brendan is uh, Sinn Féin electoral uh, candidate for Ross Grey. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, friend,
6: and I'd like to thank. I thank Derek for the invite up on Saturday and, and uh, the fact that mentioned me there. Like I, like I spoke I spoke to him towards the night when we first heard the news and I, and I, you know, I said I'd, be, I'd do my best to go Saturday to meet any people that had any concerns and just to let them know what we were doing. Look, as a representative as a rep, I've seen the rep, Michael are fairly straightforward. The party has always opposed direct provision as, as it's been condemned by, other, by the Amnesty and Human Rights Groups. For as uh, a inappropriate system for housing and asylum seekers, and we're seeing the, the government is, again, failing to actually move on this failed system. Mm. Well, and they, I, they, I had plans,
1: where, they had plans. They had plans to deal with that, Brendan. But of course, COVID got in the way. At least that's what we're being told. Uh, I think
6: COVID got in the way of a lot of things, friend. But, mm. <laughs> mm. but look, the other thing I'd be concerned like, about is know, has a dark history of like institutions for housing for vulnerable people. Kind of themes in a that uh, we're seeing the equation like, being concentrated in the town that had that had such a history and. And like, I mean, last year we, in, when the council was making its area plan for the town, Roskilde Finn medical mission, we where, among other things, we asked the council to, in light of the significant number of asylum seekers already in the town, be they Ukrainians or the, or the international selection applicants in, the, in Joe or Fabi, to have a joined up, a joined up thinking plan for the Vision of services and that clearly hasn't happened. So look we'd be very worried about mm-hmm. the fact that they come along and now of have the towns only working hotels could be taken. I mean someone said to me the other weekend that a, t- a town without a hotel isn't really a town. And I mean it's hard to disagree with them but if one thing to say, look, up the responsibility towards the aspect I don't think other thing. But if you want to develop a town, you need kind of joined up planning between government departments. Whereas what we're seeing here from Phoenix in a is any businessman who has beds who approaches them, they're taking the offer, they don't care, is it appropriate? Is it is it is an appropriate planning decision or not? They're just, they want the bed still. What, they don't what care, was they don't care the. Clothing, 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 homes, I, I, clothing, clothing, I saw clothing, the anything.
1: piece of video where, where you spoke, and I'm just wondering about, from your point of view, the mood of the people there is it anger? Is it disappointment? What, I mean, how would you describe it?
8: I, it's,
6: it's, a, it's a few things, fine, I think. Now, look, and people, other people have other things on, but from what I get from talking to different people is, do the general sense that Ross the town, has been failed by Fiend Falls yeah. For decades, but local and national reps haven't delivered. They've seen, as Derek said, various services go from the town. They've seen, they've seen employers go. There's a, a persistent issue with dereliction. I was only looking at, at the census the other evening, and, there, and on the census night, there was 220 vacant homes in a house, in vacant housing in Rosemary. This is a town with a massive housing crisis, and yet you have 200 empty, empty houses, and they're not seeing the local councillors taken much of action against their election. In fact they voted against the Sinn Féin motion to tackle their election recently. So there's disappointment among people. And then there is a general feeling that look, Tipperary has 576 asylum uh, for international protection applicants already. You could say on between one hundred and fifty or 200 of them, depending on how many are in, in Channel Sabie at any given time, are in Ross Grey. That's, that's fair to say. That's a fair concentration for a town that hasn't got the, the additional services they've promised in terms of... I mean I'm as I told you before when i was gone through where I can't get a GP in North Chest guy. So it's, it's look, there's concerns in that kind of thing and there's a feeling that if you look just over just over the border there, like Kilkenny only have 150 IPF applicants in the entire in the entire county. Ross had more asylum seekers in one town included in the entire county of Kilkenny. And there is something to be said for sharing the burden equally and looking at which towns have the resources. I mean everyone knows, according to the council's own development plan, according to the government's own statistics. Roscaria is economically disadvantaged. What employment it has tends to be low paid, so a lot of people are kinda of living are living in what, what would be could be officially classed as deprivation according to government statistics. And that's there's a feeling that even, even if mm. these people are, are housed in Ross-Gay, when they get status when it's gonna be hard for anyone that was successful to actually get work and get ahead in a, in a town that as it is, well,
3: for sure, and that's, 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 of that's only
1: part of, uh, of the issue. When you spoke on Saturday, you spoke about our obligations, again, under EU law to house refugees. And um, As you understand it, what exactly are those obligations?
6: Well, it's not so much an obligation under EU law, it's uh, well, a... Uh, sorry, I'm just quoting what you, what you said, law. what you
1: said yourself, yeah.
6: I said international law, Fran. It's uh, an obligation under under the established international law of the UN that countries have a responsibility to process asylum claims. Now, what we're seeing in Ireland and what we've seen for over a decade now in Ireland, one is something that's been in clear history since I was a teenager, is that the government isn't, the, isn't processing applications in a timely manner. People can spend several years in these centres waiting yeah, yeah I, I, i'm benefits. just like i'm, I'm just i'm
1: just very very worried that people are being confused or misled about this so called uh, obligation i mean in anything that you you look at i mean the Treaty of Amsterdam for example i mean we have opt out there the only reason that we need go along with anything that would be said in europe where the that treaty is if we decide to do so but well, exactly, we, we but have a, we talking, have an opt out where that The Geneva Convention does not. uh, Your your colleague Martin Brown. I I I didn't. I didn't ask you a question yet. Um, Martin Brown spoke to me. Your colleague the other day. He he brought up the Geneva Convention. Um, There's absolutely nothing in the Geneva Convention to say that we need to take in uncapped numbers of people. So that's where the the same with the Dublin regulations. There, there is nothing to say that we need to take in. Uncapped numbers anywhere there. So, what do you mean when you talk about obligations? Are you finished, friend? I, I am. Now I asked you the question. Now. Yeah,
6: I'll, answer, I'll answer. the question. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, someone asked me. Someone asked me a fair question. I give me an honest answer. Well, there's a fair question.
1: Informed, yeah, with, it, with, right. uh, no, there's a fair question with an informed. You um, There's a fair question with an informed prologue to it. So there you. Are.
6: Right. So, finished yeah. So, firstly, friend, when you're talking about EU law, that's a different thing. You're right. We you can opt out of. We've been out of EU law. Lots of countries do. In fact, we had a, we've had we had derogations in the EU law in relation to agriculture and different issues for years. No issue with that. The government could say to the UN if they wanted that. On on international asylum law, that's, that's fundamentally governed by by UN-level level, structures to come back to the 50s it, with a convention on refugee, refugees. And the, gen, the overarching principle of that is a legal principle called non-refoulement. Now, non-refoulement means that if someone seeks asylum a country a country that sends them back, can't send someone back to a country where they will, where they're, where they're at risk of any kind of mistreatment or abuse or torture.
1: Yes, now, but they, to, but they to have, to provide, have to provide but, but they, they have answer. to a pro- um, proof of that, that they are in yeah, a situation that, where their lives are in to. danger.
6: Yeah, that, That's what I was getting to. To provide proof of that, you have to process the application. Mm. To process an application, you have to let them into the country. Mm. So, in your hypothetical situation, you're giving me there. Mm. If you were to treat someone... If you were to treat someone seeking asylum as automatically ineligible, you would risk you would risk going afoul of international law okay. by filing things everyone. So they I, have to, they have to be that. processed.
1: I, I, I never well, said I'm, that. I'm
6: saying that's the hypothetical you gave. Yeah, but and, I, and I'm not saying you said that. That's the situation. So the situation is that someone seeks asylum. Look, it has to be processed. Now the problem is our government is far too slow at doing it, so we end up with with high numbers of people in in this situation system and especially the children. I mean, you know yourself we've thirteen thousand people in emergency accommodation, which is by and large a similar a similar fit, fit in families having to raise kids in hotel rooms and stuff and I mean it's not suitable. I mean you're seeing it with with the children of Asylum seekers who are spending their forms of for years in hotel rooms. That's that's not on. That's not good enough for Asylum Figures not good enough for it's not mm-hmm. good enough for anyone in the government. Needs to need to get back together and
1: actually get beyond that. Just right, and, and can way, I though. ask you, un, under a Sinn Fein government, and there's a distinct possibility that the next government could be led by Sinn Fein, would we have situations like we have in Ross Gray now? Well, like, look,
6: the current system is.
1: Uh, no, but there, there's a fair I question. Now you yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, fair questions. So would would we, that, would we that, have that. those situations?
6: Well, you you can't ever say if yes. Uh, you fix which can change overnight. What Sinn Féin would do is we would work, We would put in a policy to move away from DRC, move away from the, from the profit-driven provision of asylum accommodation because that is what.
1: To, to,
6: the problem. It, to what,
1: Brendan? To what? To
6: to a system where people apply to application of Delta in a timely in a timely manner. And if they are if they are successful, they move mm-hmm. out of the system. If they fail, they are removed from the country. Now, but to to do that, you have to solve the, You first have to solve some of the other crises in Ireland. Have you seen? As I already mentioned?
1: Right. Which which yeah, could take up to twenty mean, or thirty years, really, with uh, the way things it
6: are would going. T- uh, It would take you could do it faster than that if you it could well you saw how quick John not over the government was able to introduce emergency schemes to deal with this, that, or the other thing.
1: Right, but it's, but, it's but it's even Mary Lou admitted uh, that it would take at least two terms of government. So oh, you're talking about terms, at least just
6: just yeah. in terms of how in housing provision yeah. because government has made such has get, made such a mess of it. Yeah. So this is and look, I wouldn't like to even say any different, but that's that's our that's our position. that uh,
1: right, but but you're you're telling me that there still would be an issue with accommodating people coming into this country under under Sinn Féin government. So it could easily be the case well, in the that the shutdown, you'd be that you'd be taking a commercial uh, situation like is happening in Ross Grey and making use of that to accommodate people.
6: Well, I'd be, I would hope that we, that Sinn Féin would have a more would have a more joined of approach in government that we'd recognise that certain pieces of local infrastructure are important to local economies and we'd we actually have a bit of planning because, I mean, clearly the government doesn't, and we wouldn't be doing it. We wouldn't mm-hmm. be kind of letting kind of business people see asylum people so that's kind of a cash cow to to keep themselves buying over the quieter winter right.
1: months. But when there's no other option, Brendan, what's... What? Well,
6: I think there is I think there is other options that come to explore. I, I wouldn't agree with you if there's no other option at the moment. I think the government just likes this system. I think so. It's easy.
1: All right. As far as you're concerned, what's, what's next uh, here in, in Racket Hall? What's what's your understanding well, of what's going to happen now? Well,
6: my understanding, I mean, I'm actually not sure what's going to happen because we were told by the department people, you know, obviously with the protest and, and the other thing, that hasn't happened. You now we're waiting for you and try kind of the department myself this morning couldn't get through. I've trying to begin late or Martin Brown is, is following, is chasing it up with them. Um, we've also, we're also, we've also kind of a I now look and waiting on people, a few people in the different sections just to call me back on what provisions and are, are, are being made for the town, what the actual plan is. Yeah. Like i am making it very clear that I think I think uh, letting a letting the private business like the only hotel in the town going is it's not exactly a ring endorsement for the council plans to develop tours and other industries in the town and i kind of and I I'd, I'd, I'd ask the council to make that case okay. to the to the department and that's kind of what i would be put, what I'll push for on and I'll be on the ground Northway. I was there Saturday, i would be I was there Thursday night, I'll be I was out coming around the town yesterday and I was talking to people about it and I, I'm going to be up during the week again so anyone who has any, issue, anyone who has any concerns about it, they know,
1: they know how to contact my oh. family again. OK, they, Brendan, uh, and thanks for talking to me today. Thank you. Bye-bye you now. That's Brendan O'Krawhur speaking to us there. Let's uh, stay uh, with the phone lines now. Let's go to uh, Councillor Shane Lee who spoke to me last uh, Friday on the programme. Good morning to you, Shane.
10: Good morning, Fran, and Good morning to your listeners. And once again, friend, thank you for having me on your show. And
9: You're very welcome. Just
10: from the outset, yeah, just go- from the outset, Fran, I suppose just to say that, you know, from being involved with with, with the people of the town since, since this broke on Thursday, um, on behalf of them, I just want to thank yourselves and Tip FM for giving this a, a good, and fair, honest, um, covering over, over the last number of days. So just to say that, on behalf of the people of Ross, well, Day, well, well, thank
1: back. you very much, and we're, we're we're very happy to do so. Um, the mood in Ross Gray at this point, Shane, is what?
10: The mood is fantastic. Um, and again, last night, I attended um, a very large gathering at the Racket Hall um, Hotel. Um, obviously, there's a huge amount of anger. Um, there's a huge amount of hurt. Um, there's a huge amount of people saying that, you know, it's a step too far. Mm-hmm. And I have said that on your show last week, fam. it's genuinely a step too far. Um, and, and, and basically, what I, I was advised again last night was that, you know, they're not stepping down until um, such time as they find there's a solution to this. Um You know, and, and, and the last few days, friend, you know, my phone has been extremely busy from people that would love to be there doing what the people of the town are doing, but can't be there for obvious reasons. Um, you know, and, and they're not going to affect from this. Like, you know, people are talking about the 160 applicants that are coming, but there's not many people as such speaking about the elephant in the room, which is the hotel. You know, and and like listening to stories over the last number of days is absolutely heartbreaking to think that, you know, the business people coming to you that have been getting huge support from and knock-on effect from people coming to the hotel. And that's a massive challenge. You know, people that have loved ones living in Rossbury that will come home to visit. Mm-hmm. We now have nine beds in Rossbury for people to come from a tourism perspective, friend. There's nobody touching on the tourism. Side of
1: well, I, I thought Teresa Collins spoke very eloquently about that chain. I'm sure you'll agree. I mean, she made a comment I didn't.
10: Yeah. I didn't hear that interview. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I honestly didn't hear it. Yeah. But like, but I'm just saying, just on, on my talk of it, like you know, this is what I've been getting. You know, and you know, the only thing I would say, Fran, isn't I suppose I wanted to come on the show this morning, and um, you know, I suppose a native of the town and someone that lives in the town, and there's a family in the town that um, the support and unity that this has brought. In the last number of days has come beyond. You, you just would never, ever, ever see it. And I tell you, friend what it's done, it has strengthened um, the voice and the future of the people of Roswell. Like The the, the, the unitedness that has come about because of this. People have said to me the last few days that they've spoken to people that they don't have seen. And you know, sometimes in communities people get um, deflated, I suppose, that's the word I'd use because they feel that they can't do anything. Mm. But I tell you, like the last number of days through this, and, and I just want to say on your show this morning, friend, the business people in this town are absolutely fantastic people. The way they have been supporting this um, through food, through hot food, through fuel, through kindness, through back one another, being there for one another in a time when people need to come together. It's absolutely massive. And Shane, can and, I uh, ask you,
1: and again, this is just for clarity, can I ask you once again, these are ordinary people. These are people who wouldn't have an agenda, you're telling me. These are people with just concerns <laughs> about the community. Is that fair to say? F- Fran,
10: absolutely, 1,000%. That's that's what I've been. And, you know, we have national broadcast media comment to Ross Gray and I spoke to some of Martin yesterday morning. And, like, even they're getting that sense of feeling that these are genuine. And the word I'm going to use here, Fran, is, these are genuine, concerned people mm. that are completely and totally passionate about mm. the their, their now, what's happening now, the future of their family and their kids, and the future of our community.
8: Right.
1: And you are know, you know, seeing anybody trying here, to? Are you seeing anybody trying to infiltrate these protests? Are you seeing anything from outside that would concern you in any way, Shane? No, uh,
10: absolutely not, okay. Absolutely not. And you know, like I've been in constant contact with the Gardaí that are out there, and. Um, And they're getting the very same feeling as what I'm seeing when I go out there, that, you know, there's none of that taking place, there's none of that nonsense. And, you know, sometimes, friend, I want to to say this this morning on the radio station, that, you know, when something like this happens, somewhere along the way, a label tries to get stuck, you know, and there's a spin comes. And, like, what I can tell you is there's people from all backgrounds and none from different age brackets that are out there. And, like, I honestly, honestly, I want to be very clear here this morning. There's no agenda, there's no solar runs, and there's no I and we. It's everybody standing united together for the best interest right. of their future, their family's future, and the town's future. And, I'm not sure and that's if exactly you, what's I'm happening.
1: not sure if you're across it, Shane, but there was some unfortunate comments, uh, particularly on social media over the weekend, about the people of Ross Grey. And, <sighs> yes, and, and in yes, some um, newspapers as well. And I, I thought it was really, really unfortunate, you know, and...
10: Yeah, but look, Fran, like, I suppose, and, 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 and we've other things that's going on where people have started to undermine us, the people. But I, I can assure you one sort sure thing, Fran, if Tip FM are up there and Vaughan was up there during the week, anybody that stands in amongst the people that's standing there, unless you're an absolute fool, you could see the pride of town and pride of community that's amongst them people. So, like, for anybody outside, like, this is what I'm saying, like, that's an agenda that they're trying to use. Or a platform trying to use to betray the people of Gray. and that's far from the truth. And I can categorically, one hundred percent, stand up, stand up, and say that for the people that I represent.
1: How did These you feel people, about the lack of attendance over the weekend by um, by some public representatives? How how did you feel about that? I think, friend, to be honest with you,
10: and I don't look. Listen, this is not about politics for me, and I know I'm a politician. I've made that very, very clear because, like, but the thing about I think there's a lack of ignorance there, and in that sense, because. Like they're undermining the power of the people here. And I said it on your show during the week that, you know, when the people cough, it's time to listen. And I just want to also say, I'm and Fernance, you covered it as a small butt with Derek and I heard say kind of you saying it. Like it's not this is not a situation where it's just the one off thing that's happening. Ross Gray is playing his part. It's boxing above their weight. And they have been very welcoming in the past in terms of what has happened. And as I said is I genuinely feel I listened to the minister yesterday morning on the radio. And I say my blood pressure went out through the top of my head when I listened to him. And I just want to say this, friend, on your radio station this morning. He's consistently thrown out the car to the people of Ross Grey about families, 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 families. But as I said last night when I spoke at uh, at the gathering that was happening last night, friend, who's standing up and speaking for the families in Ross Grey? Because most definitely and most surely listen to what he's saying on the radio. He's not standing up for them. It's all about other people's families, but not about the families that have, have kept this town together for many, many years. For people, as I said last night, that wanted to be there but could not be there—people in nursing homes, people that would have fought on their back for the amenities, for the services, and for what's going on now they'd be absolutely delighted to see the people stand up for the town once and for all. You know, and, and this is what I'm getting, and this is what I'm seeing, Fan.
4: Yes,
1: and, and one of the points—one of the points I made to Derek as well—and is well worth making it again. I think is that over decades, Shane Ross Gray has been very welcoming to outsiders. You know, and it's very important to make that point, is it not?
10: Absolutely. Absolutely Fran. and like as I said, like you know, you've, you've, you've big employers in the town that have people that are working here. Like, and like it's like we like to be honest. These, this thing that has been happening the last number of days, you have people from Poland, have people from Lithuania, they're all out there supporting this. Like, this is my point. Like the amount of people that have gathered in this, on this on this protest since Thursday since this has broke has been absolutely brilliant in terms of the support of of, of community. All right, you know, and, and enough is enough, And friend, Just, just, just to say one last thing, friend, that you know, it's, it's. I, I want to say that, like, I don't want this being labelled or things being said that there's a divide. There's absolutely none of that happening in the town. Yeah. There's, there's one word I'm using is passion and unity. Because I've and had a couple of texts
1: this morning to say that the town is divided on this. I mean, you, you're saying no, to me that's no, not the case. No, absolutely not. Not. Oh. And I wanted uh,
10: I wanted to make sure that's been made very clear. It's not.
1: All right. Shane, I must leave it there, but thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much bye bye you for you. Councillor Shane Lee.
11: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today
1: on one eight hundred nine three eight double o seven. Dave joins me now. Dave, good morning to you. I'm sorry, friend. And uh, good to talk to you today, Dave. You've been listening to some of our conversations over the last while. You, your thoughts on what's been happening in Roscrea and around the country, Dave?
3: I mean, this is bound to happen eventually, wasn't it? I mean, you keep flooding places. Like, like let's be honest. Uh, like, I'm only a blow-in uh, to rural Ireland. But, like, rural Ireland has been, since the last recession, forgotten about. I mean, there's no infrastructure. There's been no investment in infrastructure. And every time people complain about it, the, the usual sentiment from the doll is, I don't mind those cultures down there. Like, I know this is a, it's almost like there's a bit of ire towards rural Ireland from the more, um, how would say, populous parts of the country, you know. Um, but, like, yeah, this was, this was bound to happen. I mean, you keep flooding small towns and villages and places with people and then leaving them there. Because it's not like there's a plan. You know, it's not like they're they're gonna be like, right, they're gonna be here for a while, then they're gonna be processed, then they're mm-hmm. gonna be moved on or whatever. They're just they're dumped and then they're left. I mean what is what is like the average time for an asylum process to be to um uh uh what's it called reviewed as well like seven years?
1: Yes, it's I years. Hear, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. That's like so so you're dumping someone in a place that barely has the infrastructure to deal with the people who are there as it is. And then you're going to leave them there for seven years. And then, I mean, not even that, like the damage is being done to our hospitality um, at the moment as well. Like, there's something like 40% of all the hotels in the country have been taken off the, off the market to be used to, to house people. And then we also have a homeless crisis. And we also have direct provision, which is a system that should be done away with as
1: well. Yeah, and that—that you know, that, that, I mean, that was acknowledged that that should be dealt with. In fact, but as I say, the excuse there was the COVID put put paid to that. I'm not sure if you were I, did you did you read that piece in the Indo yesterday from from the Taoiseach? And I mean, I, I didn't. I, yeah.
3: I did read his piece, but I did read a piece that was written in response to his that basically pointed out. All the uh the the falsehoods and blatant yeah. and yeah, yeah uh, well, I, I call them blatant lies to be mm-hmm. honest with you, because if you're the, the leader of a country and you get things that wrong, you're probably in the wrong job, to be dead on. You know, I mean because he was saying about like over a thousand deportation orders uh, you know, uh, were um signed last year. Yeah, there was only about seven hundred and fifty in around and we asked people, Could you deport yourself? The guards don't enforce it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was also, um, what was some of the other
9: stuff he was saying
1: as well? Well, well, one of the things that applies particularly, I suppose, to Ross Gray is that he admitted freely, Dave, that he said that, you know, it's essential that people's fears are acknowledged and that information is provided. And he said we need to ensure that local services get extra resourced to cope with the increase in population. But none of that was put in place, you know. Well,
3: look, that's all well and good. There are great sound bites Mm. to be making, right? But, like... Uh, r- local services, like what? You're like, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to like grow new GPs out of the ground? Yeah. Are they going to start building new houses now? I mean, look at like how many there's like there's more applications for young people to go to Australia now than there were during the recession. I know. Like yeah. we're losing so much talent in this country. I mean, they talk about retrofitting homes and building new houses. We don't actually have the tradespeople for that anymore. You know, and it, it, like. It's great for, like, the thing that annoys me about stuff like this is, right, you have Leo coming out and saying stuff like, you're not allowed to veto who lives in your uh, your, mm. your community. Mm. Yet, the same man objected to high-rise apartments being built in his own constituency, you know? He also had a, 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 a you know, chat with Onboard Planola about a wind farm that was supposed to be built a, near Doombeg for old Donald Trump himself. I mean, if these people are really all about fairness and equality. Why aren't there any direct provision centres in... Or Darke or Kalani.
1: Yeah, well, you know? they, they, there's this one in Barnes Bridge, I think, a couple of a couple of weeks uh, ago. Dave, when he
3: was come there. here, listen, Brian. You fine you, you're in this game a long time. You know yourself. That was done for optics. That mm. that was just done to see. Ah, no, no, no. Look, the posh people are, are taking in themselves. Like, I don't blame people for being pissed off because you've like working class areas where people have been more or less forgotten about, and they're told, well, you're going to have to shoulder the burden now of you know, like an extra 10, 20, 30 uh, percent, you know, added to your population with no extra services, no extra funding. And if you open your mouth about it, you're called the far right racist. I mean, the Irish people, we are one of the most generous nations on the face of the planet. And like we'll all agree immigration is a good thing. I mean, we, we have the largest diaspora of any nation on the face of the planet in history. Mm. We are not against immigration. Mm. But you cannot keep dumping people into places and then leaving them there because it's not fair in the locals and it's not fair in the people who live there as well. And I mean, like having the likes of Leo and Mihaw Martin and all these people come now, what would they know about living in the real world? I mean, they probably go around every day, you know, surrounded by like their stick of fence and their hangers on telling them that they're doing a wonderful job and everybody else is wrong and blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't really matter to them because come the next election, if they did get turfed out of office, they're all going to go take nice, cushy numbers like Pascal did well, in the EU.
1: Th- the teacher is in uh, Devas uh, at the moment. I think the Tornister was in Colombia the last uh, I heard of him. So, like...
3: Eamon Ryan is probably asking somewhere else, Mr, we shouldn't be flying on airplanes, but watch me fly to Singapore and Dubai. You know? Yeah. Like, well, what's really... I think what really pisses people off is just, it's the rank hypocrisy that comes from the state. You know, it's do as we say, not as we do. Because and Dave, what I about think,
1: future governments? Because, I mean, the, the likelihood is that Sinn Féin may lead the next government. Well, and that scares the crap out of me, to be quite honest with you. Why?
3: I, I, I can't see Sinn Féin being an effective government. Because, first of all, I, I personally, I think they're probably one of the worst opposition parties we've ever seen. Because they're basically toeing the line like everybody else is. I mean, I heard, um, now this wasn't long after COVID, so I don't know. Kind of how valid to the argument it is but um one of the representatives you know they were talking about like oh well we should give everyone in ireland 100 euros you know post-covid to spend a brick and mortar shops which in theory is a fantastic idea uh, a guy was interviewing him says how are we going to fund it he was like well what we're going to do is anyone making over a certain amount of money we're going to tax the living daylights out of them see all the multinational companies we're also going to you know start making them pay way more tax and then your man goes right that's all well and good what if they leave you know, what, what if they do what Dell did and what yeah, companies mm-hmm. in China did years ago when the tax relief was taken away? And what, what if they just up sticks and, and just move to another country where it's cheaper well, to run In, their in fairness,
1: though, I heard Mary Lou McDonald be very clear about the fact that they wouldn't do anything at all that could damage, uh, you know, the the multinationals in this country. And the, the, she did acknowledge, I mean, the the amazing uh, amount of money, I suppose, they bring to the, the country as well. So. <laughs> Come
3: here, Listen, our economy depends heavily on them if they pull out in the morning Huge, we are
1: yeah.
3: yeah we' are up a certain creek without a paddle i just i mean if they if Sinn Féin is such an effective government why is there more homeless people up the north than there is down here no i do understand they have the dup to contend yes. with but i just i don't, i don't have any faith in them. well because, they, they tell you like, it's a very
1: very different jurisdiction with all sorts of uh, differences in terms of rules and regulations there's smaller and... Popu-
3: there's a smaller population to contend with you know there's also massive amounts of money that's been given to them by the British government and yet they can't seem to get a handle on issues about there. I mean... And wh- what about where and, they
1: stand on immigration? How, how does that um how does <laughs> They're that the
3: exact same. They're, they're going to be the exact same as the rest of them because I think a lot of this is coming from Europe. Like, if if I can put on my team tinfoil hat for a second, um, a, a lot of this thinks to me the fact that, like, you know, birth-to-death ratio in Ireland, we are seeing more people die than, you know, are being born because it is... Mm. damn expensive to have a kid mm. or just to live in this country anymore I mean my, my two boys are born 12 years apart and I can tell you right now having a child now is orders of magnitude more expensive than it was when we had the first left um, so maybe I'm kind of thinking you know are we flooding the country because we need more taxpayers in the future you know it's like when it comes to pension age for me there might not be enough money in the kids now look I, again that could be too File hat talk But it would make a certain kind of sense, maybe. You know, I I don't know. Like, a lot of it, I think, is just... I think it's just with COVID. It's just, this is happening, and we don't know what to do. You know, we've never had, like, Mm. this level of influx into the country. And, you know, like, I know, like, people like to talk about conspiracies. And on the one hand, you know, they're they're being told by this shadowy cabal, you know, to, to do all this stuff. But in reality, they're just human beings. And when stuff happens really, really quickly... You just don't know what to do and how to deal with it. I I think it's more just ineptitude than it is anything else,
1: you know. And and, like, I and mean, is there anything that you're hearing anywhere that would lead you to believe that somebody or some party or some organisation has a a grip on this, has a vision? Nope. Has nothing no, nothing at at all, Dave. <laughs> No,
3: I am. Come here, Fran. I, I like to think of myself as an optimistic person. Yeah. But I'm just looking at the state of things now. The only way that this is just, it's on a downward trajectory. And you're going to see more stuff like places being set on fire, unrest. I mean, like when people voice their opinions and immediately are shouted down and told you're all just a bunch of far right racists and you hate immigrants, even though immigrants are some of the people who are also protesting. Like, first of all, you're, you're completely shutting down the conversation there. And, I mean, people, mm. unfortunately, are going to act out in different ways. And you are going to have, um, you know, bad characters getting involved and stoking up that fear and that hatred as well. Because there's a lot of stuff you see, you know, just going around. Like, if you don't you sit in the pub having a few pints and people are talking about it, there's a lot of stuff you hear people say, I, it's complete and utter nonsense. Mm. But at the same time, uh, you know, an open conversation has have, have had about this. So that kind of stuff is just going to be right. So I, I can't. I mean, we don't have enough GPs. You know, all our GPs are aging out. Anyone who qualifies as a GP is getting out of the country. We're losing all of our trades, You know, I, I really, I, I actually, I, I like to think, like, you know, like sit down and kind of think to myself, how, how can we make things better? But unless there's drastic, drastic changes in our immigration policy and we elect a government who is actually fit for purpose, I, I can only see things getting worse. I really can, All unfortunately.
1: Right. All right, Dave. Uh, thanks for that excellent contribution, Dave, and really good to talk to you today. Thanks very much indeed. Thank thanks you. Thanks always. Right, bye-bye you know. That's uh, Dave speaking to us there. News and information is coming up. Good morning, Margaret Paul, and welcome back to the second hour of Tip today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. That's a free phone number if you want to uh, speak to Ali, who is producing today. You can uh, text and WhatsApp double one. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Now, I'm joined in the studio by Deputy Matty McGraw. Good morning Good to you, Matty. Good
5: morning, friend, and happy new year to you and, and many, all your
1: staff many, and listeners. Many happy returns to you indeed. You addressed the crowd on Saturday in Ross Grey, Matty.
5: What's the general feeling in Ross Grey as far as you're concerned? Well, I met the most wonderful people there on Saturday, both in the streets at, at the rally, and then I was asked to go out to the hotel, and I did. And really, to see the huge turnout that was there, and to see men, women, and children, uh, grandparents down to, to, to you know to teenagers and younger, and the camaraderie. And the Gardaí mingling with them. And I want to thank the Gardaí for the support. Not the about but for just being engaging with them. And, and it was a good spirit. It was like a, a kind of, a, you know, a rally or something that was really good spirited. The two tarballs full of firing supplied by suppliers. I had a lovely bowl of soup. Soup supplied by the, by the business in the town and by mothers going home to, get, to make more of it. So they had... That enthusiasm and that passion and that uh, goodwill should be harnessed by this government, not turning uh, the people against the government. And I'm appealing, because I got wind yesterday even... Uh, that, that they might be that these people might, I pass, uh, uh, might be uh, forced into the hotel today around midday. And I think Is that, that your be, understanding? That's my understanding, and it's appalling if that happens. The goodwill, as I said, in Hale, like we must engage with our people. To take this away from them, I heard a lady used to from, from Sean Ross, her name was it it Teresa, was, Corms, Teresa yeah. yeah, say that they have a reunion once a year, mm-hmm. every September, and they stay in that hotel. The small business in the town need a hotel like that to bring businesses, conference, you name it, and a spin off. And we have a big launch today, some couple of ministers, about the tourism. Uh, actually, this is a tourism hub in that part of, of, of Tipperary that's badly, badly needed. And that's and the big plus for Ross the possibility of it developing in it. Of as course, a of, of course. But hope, to get back yeah. to the to the spirit of the people, there wasn't no a bad word said. And there was no sign of any far right person or far left or Middle East or anybody else. They were all the Eastern people. And there for the long Hall, which is, you know, great to see them, because they have taken enough. Shane Lee has said it there. They're good people and I want to condemn the media to arrive in and try and meet somebody then that says something and then twist it into a headline. Mm. The latest we see now is that we're going to have no houses built, housing developments because of these protests. Yeah, and That's on the front of the mail today, fears that new housing developments will be targeted now. and uh... Pure and utter baloney. There's a media narrative and I want to say, oh, Tip FM for giving fair play to this issue and many, many other issues. But the general media want to tarnish and and there are obviously poppers now for the government and the NGOs and they want to target people. This is a preposterous uh, announcement. There's no shred of evidence whatsoever that any new housing developments will be da- were damaged. And I can't condemn any arson yeah. yeah. any attack anywhere because a burnt building is no good to anyone. Our own Irish or our community or indeed our, our newcomers or our, our, our international protection applicants. So I want to scorn that. The, the media now, the government are doing anything they can to demonise, uh, to patronise and to, to, to put people in the pigeonholes here that question this. I was at two wonderful uh, senior citizens parties yesterday in Doughel, lovely community there and indeed in, in Holland by the Lions Club and uh, Sasson Colden playing away there and Mike Walsh playing out and out in and, out and Clogging. The best of people, the best of community endeavour and this is the topic in all their minds. People are worried and rightly or wrong they're worried and they're mainly worried because they've been bombarded by the media. Like I heard RT yesterday morning programme and it's a good programme with Brendan O'Connor talking about the construction industry have said that they can rank up, uh, ramp up capacity and they can build sixty thousand houses instead of the thirty-seven that are promised. So this story to come out in the front page on a headline is just uh, demonising people. So look, the demonising must stop. I have contacted Roger Coram and Minister Joe O'Brien this morning. I will do so again, but I'm appealing the damage that will do if these uh, people are busted in today and put back in here. I'm appealing to the Garda authorities, senior authorities, in Tipperary, now in Clare, unfortunately, uh, in chat, not to do this because you're, the Garda cannot police a community ever, in any country in the world, without the support of the people. And to the, by and large, this is wonderful in no. Ireland, the community and are
1: you concerned that if the Garda have to enforce the introduction of, uh, of these people into the hotel, you, you're afraid that
5: will damage what their It'll damage community relations. Of course it well. They depend on the people. They've only seven Gardaí in Rosgrave, where they used to have 27. We've only four in Show where we used to have 14. I mean, the people... The Gardaí need the people's support now more than ever. There's only a thin line between anarchy and, 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 and respect for democracy and, 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 the, and the Gardaí. So the Gardaí have done huge work in building up these community relations and they to wish Tom O'Doware, who retired recently, Sergeant, you know, Crime Prevention, working with communities and to do this now I know the Gandhi don't want to do this in Tipperary but if the powers that be in Dublin think they can do this while the Taoiseach and Tornister wander around the world they don't wander they fly I, I think the after is off to Davos we had a, at the Taoiseach we had a, a meeting a business committee meeting on Thursday we're back to the door after the five weeks and to be told that the Taoiseach wouldn't be in the door on, on, on Wednesday to take Taoiseach questions or do leaders questions and then the Taoiseach wouldn't be there either so they're from Timbuktu to to, to, to Rinke, and you won't see machinery or Lincoln, any other place. I was in, in Colombia, I think, the town is at the moment. At out there, and we've been flooded with beef under the Mercosur deal from those countries, and they've shady shady past as well. So they can lecture us about trying to support our communities, trying to stand up for our people. And the families, as Shane Lee mentioned as well, Council Lee, the families have, that have sustained Ross Ray, sustained themselves, sustained the community, and mm-hmm. the same families are out here now. Did and, give a welcome to many many people. So, some of the um, particularly social media posts, indeed, some articles in newspapers over there, demonising the Which people. But I said that that France headline there is totally know, provocative. It's was totally without foundation. A Co- couple
1: of things. I, I'm not sure if you got a chance to see it, but uh, the T-shirt. He, he wrote an open letter to the Indo yesterday, and, and they published it. He said a couple of things in it, and he said that he knows that he's aware that the opening of new accommodation centres can cause genuine concern in communities. He said it's essential that people's fears are acknowledged and allayed, and that information is provided. And we also need to ensure that local services get extra resources to cope with an increase in population.
5: Was any of that... um put into place in, in No, Moscow. none. Absolutely none. And there's a game going on in government, really, where the and Fine think they can blame the Greens for this, because Roger Gugamil and Joe O'Brien are both Green ministers. And we can see clearly at different cabinet meetings and leaks out of there that this, they're not getting the support. They haven't the resources in the department. Backwards is gone. We were told we were, after casual, we'd get, you know, consultation and engagement. I believe there's only two officials in that department dealing with community engagement. So, the tarnish it into spout that rub, that, that at least the opinion pieces that they can do with the media because there's a pain in the media. There are pay and the media are giving them free reign and they demonise any alternative opinion. What he said was lovely and sounded great but it's not happening. There's no services being put in. We can't get GPs. We can't get... We have no places in schools. I had a principal run to me from Cork on, on Friday night where she just was told that the, the school's at capacity but she's taken in 10 um, IPAS children to her school next week be ready for them. Full stop. I just. People, if they can't, uh, uh, apply to school, can't get in. They have to travel to the next town, or next school, next village. So you're creating this division and this, 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 this undermining of, of pe- people's faith in, in the services. And to listen to some of your commentators this morning, I shouldn't say, it would make no difference. They, and I said, understand, they are now not a Republican party anymore. They're now the new globalist party because they're the very same. They're phony opposition. Well, they're they, all would, fake. they would disagree profoundly. Of course them. they will. They're yeah. fake opposition in the all. They'll call votes of conference and this, that and the other on the immigration issue. And we had the debate there. I gave uh, eight, ten months trying to get a debate. It's been debated, as you know, in every dance you go to, every hall, every uh, meeting, every business table, every, every, every public the house. It's big conversation. Yes, but you year. can't have a debate in Darlene. And I was scorned. And we did give our own time then, to rule independence, and we got vilified and destroyed. But none of the government backbenchers are independent. People came into the door to speak on that. It's the very same with uh, the the, the, the hard left, came in and and defended the government. So all the parties, every one of them, are against the people on this. So it's time for people to wake up. Well, is it the case then that they all accept, because
1: again, in that article yesterday, the Taoiseach said that what's happening where immigration is concerned, is that something that should or can be stopped, but it's something that we can manage better.
5: But we're not managing it better. I mean, be mm. telling us that we can take it with open borders. And to have, I, I had an email from a retired... Well, he
1: said the only open borders with, with Northern Ireland. Not true.
5: I had, a, I had a, an email from a retired gathered sergeant who spent the last 10 years in Dublin Airport. And we'll put the hair standing in the back of your neck, and I'm to meet the guy when I go back to Dublin. But I'm just saying it's not happening. Come to the, the two-faced positions of the politicians In When I call the vote on you know, this issue in all, we are going to get People to stand up. We needed 10. Sinn Fein ran to the hills, and indeed the independent and government backbenchers and Tipperary didn't support us to stand up to give us a vote. So it's a very dangerous situation when you have that going on in our country. You can't debate it. It's as a it is mm. the topic of conversation because it's well, not... Michael Lowry said to me last week that he he was the one who stood up in the door and he, <laughs> he spoke. I heard him he laughable. Spoke. I mean, I, look, you brought that up now. I, when I called votes uh, several uh, Tuesdays on the order of business to have a debate on this, Michael Lowry consistently went in and voted it down with the government. So, voted with the government to not have a debate. And now he wants to tell people he raised this in the door. He did maybe two or three times. One day after, 15 minutes after voting it down this is the hypocrisy that we're getting from these politicians they know this situation is out of control and I don't know why they just uh, keep uh, supporting it Deputy Cahill and Deputy Kelly weren't in Ross Grey but as I said the warmth that I got in Ross Grey and the people and since and the phone calls and emails and you talk about division. I've got no negative emails from Ross Grey to mention in the social media and the comments yes they are mainly we have, have 36,000 NGO organisations in this country costing between 5.5 and, and 6 billion that was figures of about 15 months ago Go. They are doing the work of the government. They're being paid by the government. Indeed, Roger Kogama lectured them last week, if they didn't come out and support the, the referendum, two referendums, yeah. that their funding could be cut. So they're doing the work of the government and they're defying the will of the people. And it's time, And some of the MGOs do brilliant work and have done it all over the world and still do. But many of them now. It's a racket. And they're there then. They're, 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 they're subverting democracy because they're so powerful. Go on any television show then. Look at it tonight or any night. And I wish I Toomey well tonight. He's on debating Catholic church issues issues. I saw just a, a, a tweet or a text from a while ago. Uh, so look, there'll be three. There'll be maybe government spokesmen, if not two. There might be someone, like Cormac Lucy was on two weeks ago I saw a show, and he was there giving out uh, figures honestly and openly and he was turned on by NGOs and by both Timmy Dooley and by some other government politicians and the presenter. So unless they wake up and see and and scratch the surface in Rural Island and see the resentment that's been built up here by um, let him do what we say not what we do. They're flying around the world as I said. Yeah. This planet now, this country now is not and big Manny, enough.
1: What, what about you? Because a portion of your speech was put up on social media as well there was all sorts of commentary, and a lot of it very, very positive commentary. But a lot of people saying, "There's the voice of the right wing in oh. Ireland, and the voice <laughs> of the far right, far in, right. In, in Ireland, mm. and populist nonsense and oh, stuff yeah. that's incendiary and could cause issues with people." What, well, what I, do you
5: say to that? I say I let the people be the, fi- the people of Tipperary be the fi- final arbitator on that. And you know, and do you see yourself as a voice of right wing? No, I do not. As I said, when I was a book I used to enjoy it at 9 or 10, going off uh, for my murder with her bike and with a basket in the front, a carrier on the back. She had so many customers for the Far East magazine and indeed the Africa and the other magazines like that. So now I'm a far right. So labels, sticks and stones break your bones. But as I said, uh, you know, sticks and stones won't, will not break your bones, but names will never hurt you. They want to label us all. But this has been shattered, this myth. And the media better find out too. I mean, uh, these headlines, now they'll, have, they'll try and blame the housing crisis next. Now, on, on the people uh, objecting to IPAS centres and everything else coming in without consultation. We are a welcoming people. The Cade Miller Fault uh, is there but not uh, where the people have been forced in. Communities are doing their best. The, people, the, the, the energy in Gray on Saturday and, and I know today as well if that could be just uh, and it is always used to do community issues but if they try to go back to the, again and force people in here and, and do that. So and, I'm appealing.
1: Can I ask you somebody who's an experienced politician and, and farmer experience of these things than I am, but I've been reading everything I could from Geneva Conventions to uh, Treaty of Amsterdam to the Dublin Regulations to all of these things is there an obligation? Where,
5: where is the obligation for to numbers? Is there? None whatsoever in any of those are conventions. Are you absolute about it? I'm absolute about it. You've, uh, you've read them, but we want to be the goodbyes in Europe. And on the stages, as I said, this country is not big enough anymore for the Taoiseach and Tarnashter uh, and Mr. Ryan. They want to fly all over the world. And tell the people how good we are. Tell the people how many people we can take in. Send out tweets in nine or ten different languages and we're open and welcome here. So it's a fallacy that they've built up. And they're in a cocoon here. With their NGO friends and with the senior officials. And I heard your question the asked one of the speakers today about Sinn Fein policies and housing and future policies. They won't change because the official government are running the show here. And, and since Charlie Hawhey went, you have no minister or Taoiseach that's in charge of the departments. It's officials are pushing the pen and paper. We see that recently at two outposts from Minister Ann Rabbit. Maybe not outposts, but in a raised issue that she stormed out of meetings with officials because they won't do what they're. What ministers know needs to be done. So this is a complete, um, what did I say here, a cake here that they've made here, iced over tickly. It they, they started really long before COVID, but with COVID really they galvanised all the media and they frightened the people and they blame COVID now for everything else. So they think they can control the people of Ireland, but there's something else coming to them. Uh, Fair play is fine play with me. And this applies to local government representatives as well. They need to go back and tell their people because Mm. I hear them whispering, we had none in Clonmel, but but, but, does buildings in Clonmel being sold and bought? I don't want to cause any angst, but but people can see. The only show in town now is a building that's there, semi derelict or even derelict in some cases. Uh, Some developers, greedy developers in many cases, uh, see the opportunity for money. They do a half-shot job, them, the bills will be taken before they even... So uh, are are you saying we're going to see... Even more situations like we're seeing in Ronald I sat down with Minister Joe O'Brien six weeks ago in the company of Michael Conn CD, and he told us, Get Matty, get used to this. We'll have 10,000 this year and 10,000 next year. They're going to keep coming, so get used to it. This is government policy. Government policy, in spite of the fact. We have two referendums coming up now, which are pretty jocous and ridiculous, and, that, and I say they'll be beaten, but uh, with, with the way the government again, we're having a debate in this week on them. We're only two-hour debate to put the, the meat on the bones of those things being rushed through, poorly worded, and constructed, and you have the likes of Michael McDowell and many other people coming out and uh, challenging them. So why won't you have a, 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 a plebiscite or a referendum on the immigration issue? And then in, in that debate, they can show us quite clearly the obligations we have under whatever convention right, well, in it the it world.
1: Could, it couldn't be a referendum, because it's not to do with the Constitution. No, really no, understand. but
5: you're, you're, consult the people. The plebiscite, I said. A plebiscite, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To consult the people, because they know the answer they right. get.
1: Uh, some of the people that we've been talking to over, last, in fact, not just last week, but in general on the programme, when I say it to them, have you made up your mind about who you'll vote for, either in local or European or the next general election? So most people saying, no, I can't see somebody to... To represent me in the recent poll the 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 independents like yourself, the big increase there where that's concerned. But at the end of the day, Matty, if I vote for Matty McGrath, what,
5: what can you do except point out the the the, the, the ills of the government? Listen, yes, there's no opposition in it all at the moment other than the rural independence. None. As I said in the recent debate, but you're not being listened to. I mean but you're but not, I said, are you are you influencing anything? yes, I hope we are, but I'm telling the people have seen through this now. This is my point. All parties are known as a plague in all your houses. Every party went in there, and they, well, they didn't. Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and the Greens Halley went in at all. But the left parties, all the so-called opposition, even Sinn Féin, demonised us, called us awful names for having the audacity to have a debate on this. We wanted a reasonable, calm, reflective debate. I will go before the people, and I hope that we will have an independent grouping right throughout the country, because people are sick, sore, and tired of parties, and will have honesty. What they get from me is honesty. Actually, I'm not saying I'm an expert. I learn and I make mistakes, too. But as I said, the policies are dafty. They're unsustainable. The boarding on bunkers. Not only in this area, the housing situation the same. Imagine fourteen thousand uh, um, people are homeless now, and four thousand children. 4, just imagine. Yeah. And they're wonderful And thank God. And thanks to people again, and went out to search for that young man and was found and located. Yeah. And a really story last night. My God. So you,
1: you, you sent me the little piece. I, I that, did. That, that was just it's so horrifying.
5: That. I just can't even to read it. Like the frustration hard-working lad trying to work and sleep rough and trying to... You know, not, and not addicted to drugs, not addicted to, to drink. drink, but on the streets. On the streets, and to think of his story. And that's what's facing us. So the time that we removed we the business out of Dublin, we need a badly needed a decentralisation programme again. Badly needed. Mm-hmm. Cause Dublin, you can't live there. But I know you're not for the idea, but isn't it a case that another party
1: might represent some of the views of rural Ireland?
5: No, when I saw the party, and then they were going to have a whip so when you get to party whipping and this is the problem with parties people stand at your door tell you mm-hmm. what you want to hear and they will do what and then they go back in I was that soldier myself I saw a Lisbon Treaty I was in a party I know the way I, I campaigned and I utterly regretted and this well, didn't win then it came back the second time so these are the kind of things you're forced into I tell you Frank at your door and a party, yeah yeah I, I need so, a, a, mm-hmm. a, something to happen in or over the road I'll do it then it comes oh that's not our policy and when we see now it's a sad, dangerous situation of two councils up to in Galway, and it's, uh, where they're exactly who spoke uh, um, out with their communities for consultation, yeah. and I see them been houses been searched at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That is political policing nothing short of it. And I know that Councillor Willie, um, uh, Willie Roach in, 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 in Fermi got a severe dressing down for Mihal Madden. But he was well able to tell Mihal Madden and play back a video to him where Mihal yeah, Madden look, was saying look, the same thing 10 years ago. He was a far right. I
1: know, and we, we, we played it here as well. Um, but the influence of a tiny party like the Greens on the current government, for example, oh, yeah, I mean, if, if there was a
5: party representing yeah. rural Ireland or whatever, that could influence a future yeah. government. Would that oh, that's that's, that's extortion. The, 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 the influence that they have. Why have they that? Because Mihal Martin was so desperate not to be the only Fianna Fáil leader, to be Taoiseach and he was so desperate to cobble a government together we in the rural Independence were willing to go into government with him, so were the regional group who were in negotiations, there was options there for him but he gave a cat blanch gave out a blank page, write in whatever you want and we see the consequences now on farming, we see the consequences on rural Ireland and I had a man last night, an 80 year old man last night rang me from a, from a village in Tipperary at 10 o'clock frozen to the cold in a 1919 uh, 19 house That was built in uh, 1932, and he also said to me, he applied then two years ago for the SEI, Sustainable Energy, all the big grandiose schemes. I was half an hour on the phone to the man. The poor devil, he applied for this, uh, and he texted me first, or someone texted on his behalf, his daughter, and and I spoke to him about half nine, and he was frozen. Those tin houses, maybe four or five-inch wall with no insulation. So he had a visit then for his application about Last uh, August, he said, and he looked at the house and he said, Yeah, there'll be an assessor out here. So the assessor arrived um, three days, four days ago, last week, last Wednesday, I think. And when he came in, he said, This house is not suitable, no grants, it's pre 1946, can't do And So what's the point of having these schemes if you've got an elderly man that played his part and is frozen to the cold and so I could feel the he's coming through the wall last night. I know well they uh, they can do external insulation on any kind of a concrete wall so uh, they're just hoodwicking the people and fooling you. He was living there in Hope and he started saying Dad, it'll be great you'll have comfort next winter and living that at that age of his life and, that, and there are many thousands like them these schemes are announced they're announcing today in a blaze of glory four and a half million for, for a rejuvenation of of, of old gas stations and old um, buildings rightly so but four and a half million won't scratch the surface wouldn't do them in one county because they're old buildings mm. many my iconic many my listed buildings so, and,
1: and, and if they are looked after then you wonder how they'll be used then I suppose That's uh, yeah but
5: reason. community facilities we can see mm. we can see and could I just just, just just say again the rumours and the people to be calm when there are rumours, we had it in kale last week rumours of, of, of the old convent. Yeah. And, and I, I again, what
1: is the latest on that? It's for Ukrainian,
5: no, that's that again, to be is fair. And I know that, that the Coptic community now are pretty annoyed over these rumours. But as I said, the rumours started. I'm a public representative. I made my representation to the department. I came back and that there was no uh, IPAS being considered for there. But the Department of Housing were looking at part of that building uh, to um, house Ukrainians. They've since come back and clarified to the county councils on Friday evening uh, that the, the housing department have scotched that idea, saying that um, it would cost too much to bring it up to, to have it, so no one looking at it. But there is rumours, and there are rumours, as I said. But as, as I said, when you get headlines like this, um, saying that the housing ha, ha, new housing developers are being delayed now because of this That's, I've never seen a new housing development being attacked or, or, or anything thankfully uh, f- a friend Mar- 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 can I just say to the people just look um, question your public representatives and talk to them because you have concerns they'll have to listen the two elections come this year so they'll have to listen and can I just say uh, as before we finish uh, to, to, to and the death of Jane Fitzgerald the mother of Councillor Michael yeah. and, and Councillor John she got a magnificent off I know you were there yourself yeah. on Friday there were many thousands and a mess by a fellow, fellow uh, coffee on, on Saturday. A noble send off for a noble, elegant lady who. That family yeah. give huge well, service, well, well and also to also to the family of Eddie Coney and there are many many other families. But Eddie Coney was a real statesman, a real serviceman here, and a head of civil defence. And there's not a family I say in South Tipperary that he didn't help. True to with his sure. good colleagues in the civil defence, and he got it very fitting and a grant of honour from the civil defence Rightly
1: so too. And before said, I let you go, somebody on to thank you, you. You visited the girls at the stand in the RDS It says here the young scientists. I did, and
5: my God, and that's that's when we were here this morning, and seems so much negativity, and I said that yeah. in my little uh, piece up there. The enthusiasm, uh, the vibrance, uh, the vibrance, yeah. and indeed the passion, and the sheer skills, and and yeah. you know, for young people, the robots. Well, I well, saw. Will they
1: be taking an aeroplane
5: somewhere? Like you said, in your yeah. experience of that yeah. yourselves, this is the yeah. problem. But we must harness that goodwill. We must harness the goodwill of the people in, in Roscrea, not forcing. And Roscrea have taken so many people already, and not taking, uh, you know, forced yeah. to take people here. The ask people come, bring, bring the people with you and they'll help you but if you try and have the people downtrodden they will rise up and I see that rising coming up in, in, in the, in the ballot box I hope and I appeal for calm right. and I appeal and, for And that's
1: very important respect. to say calm and respect and peaceful yes. the protest yes. if protest is, is happening Maddie, thanks very much indeed for that we'll take a break back with more in just a moment
11: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
0: In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join
11: the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday
1: at tipfm.com. Now, uh, right throughout the morning, we've been discussing local issues and uh, local politics. Let's go global right now. I'm glad to be joined as usual on a Monday by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. And um, there's a lot happening around uh, the world. Um, who are the Houthi rebels and why are they attacking Red Sea uh, ships? Um what, what is happening
4: there? Yeah, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting scenario. It's a very dangerous scenario, Indeed potentially. Is, yeah. uh, we all know the implications. People have probably felt the implications of this at the petrol pump or at prices. You know, the supply chains have been affected. But the Houthi rebels, they're essentially, to, to, to define them, it's hard to define them, but they're, they're a militant group that exists in southwestern Yemen. Which controls vast swathes of the country of Yemen. Uh, they're a militant organization. They're a little bit like Hamas, a little bit like Hezbollah in Lebanon. They all have ties to Iran and they are part of the Iranian axis of resistance, as it's known in the Middle East. So, this is this kind of Iranian influence operation in the Middle East. Uh, Hamas are part of it. Hezbollah are a part of it. The Houthi rebels in Yemen are a core part of it. They would receive training and funding from Iran. They're quite a diverse organization. It's not just the military affairs that they uh, specialize in. These guys print money. Uh, they have administrative functions as well. They try they try to govern the part of Yemen over which they have jurisdiction. So it's an interesting mm. one. They're a lot more sophisticated than many people might imagine. But, but there is, at least it's my understanding, there, there is a legitimate government in Yemen. Is there, no? there is a legitimate government in Yemen. But of course, Yemen has been plagued by warfare for the past several years. Between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, airstrikes being launched on uh, on the country of Yemen, much of the population displaced. The Houthis are the ones fighting back against the government of Yemen and against Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia have done their utmost, their absolute utmost to extricate themselves from this crisis. It's a very difficult situation or it has proved a very difficult situation for them because the Houthis have proved so resistant, uh, resistant to uh, uh, Saudi Arabian attacks so it's a very it's a fraught situation in Yemen it's a country I think you could probably label it a failed state at this stage mm-hmm. uh, it's a real it's in dire straits but this is having huge implications mm-hmm. now because the location of Yemen it's right across from the Red Sea so it's at a crucial juncture in terms of international navigation in terms of the waterways and that is mm-hmm. why the bombing of ships has proving so uh influential to global commerce and global trade. And
1: uh, the escalation of those attacks, I mean, we're, we're talking about the Israel-Hamas war yeah. here, aren't we? That that sort of kicked this off.
4: Yeah, the Houthis have essentially, I mean, they pledged their allegiance to Hamas. So they are in support of Hamas. And this is a response to the attack on on the Gaza Strip by the Israelis. Now, of course, that was precipitated by, by a Hamas attack itself. We always have to, to remind people, but... Essentially, the Houthis are trying to defend a mass here. They're in a situation where they're trying to create as much disruption as possible, probably being influenced by Iran. And Iran plays a major role in the region. When it comes to the Middle East, I've said this before, there are two main powers. You have Saudi Arabia on one side, Sunni Muslims, Iran, Shia Muslim majority on the other. Iran are effectively a rogue state. They're in cahoots with Russia, North Korea. Uh, other countries like that, and are dangerous international actors, and have dangerous influence operations. So they use their proxies throughout the region. Proxy forces being a, a force which you control, kind of and manipulate. Yes. So the Houthis are essentially a proxy force for the Iranian government to. Uh, and and would you include then Hezbollah? Hezbollah Uh, as well. Yeah, Hezbollah as well and Hamas. To a slightly lesser extent, Hezbollah are a lot more sophisticated. Hezbollah are probably the most sophisticated of the three. They are, of course, based in Lebanon. But if you were to to rank Hamas, Hezbollah and the rebels uh, and a ranking in terms of who is the most sophisticated, Hezbollah are up there at the top. Probably followed by the hoodies, and then you have Hamas.
1: Now we have uh, the United States and the UK, of course, wading in necessarily because of of, of their the their trade implications and probably political implications as well. Now they've retaliated.
4: They have retaliated, and I was watching this very closely on Thursday night. You know, Rishi Sunak, he had David Cameron, the foreign secretary, swept into Downing Street to make obviously a uh, a lightning decision to launch a response because this was this was a big moment for Rishi Sunak. It was his first big military action on the international stage it was a big moment for him he was supported by the u.s of course and the u.s have launched subsequent strikes against the houthis in in that whole red sea area it's hard to know how effective they will be because you have to consider this rebel movement have withstood years of attacks from saudi arabia they are well able well able to resist uh, and to to protect themselves and to keep co- to keep functioning uh while it's under severe penalties under severe attack so it's hard to know how much one one set of missiles or one missile barrage will actually affect them. Will it deter them? Uh, will they continue on unabated? Um,
1: Thomas, am I right in being extremely worried about this escalating in some way because I, I, I know that Gaza obviously is taking the story here, but yeah. but there is that danger of escalation
4: yeah we 're on it? the brink of a regional escalation, I, I think, and I think American diplomats would probably admit that in in secret in secret it wouldn 't be said i mean blinken hasn 't said it. Uh, out, 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 straight and simple. But if you look at it, all the indicators are that this is quickly spiraling into a regional conflict. Into a regional conflict. You have Hezbollah in Lebanon firing rockets over the Israeli border. You now have the Houthi rebels in Yemen uh, firing rockets at ships. It is a dangerous. It's at a. It's a flashpoint and, and now. With at this all point. of
1: the international pressure.
4: Netanyahu is not returning. Netanyahu is not returning. And this is the amazing thing. And, you know, we have to remember there are still Israelis being held hostage. We saw the Mm. 100th anniversary of the attacks uh, commemorated there on Saturday, I think it was. Mm. Uh, There are still copious numbers of Israeli hostages in Hamas territory.
1: Israeli people calling for Netanyahu's resignation. Calling
4: Mm. for Netanyahu's resignation. And it's probably inevitable that eventually Netanyahu will have to go. This occurred... On his hands. The book ultimately stops with him mm. uh, and when the review is conducted into all this in the years to come, I suspect he will come out quite badly from it. And what is
1: the current situation, I know we're going off point here a little bit, but uh, uh, the oh. current situation for Netanyahu, has he still
4: essentially a national government? Has he still... He has formed a government of national unity, so he has managed to, a wartime government, a wartime right. cabinet, so he has managed to unite the various party factions uh, across the Israeli political spectrum. And there are quite a few of them from far-right parties, real hard-line far-right parties uh, to parties on the far left. He has managed to bring them together to a certain extent. Kind of astonishing when you think about it because Netanyahu was and is such a divisive character in Israeli politics. Prior mm. to this, you had this whole saga over judicial reforms and a massive controversy there over his own his own legal disputes and his own legal dilemmas. Uh, so he's far from clean. But while the war goes
1: on you reckon that he's pretty safe in his position but afterwards they will question the security breaches. I,
4: I think afterwards yeah. the security breach yeah. will have to be questioned. I mean it is just it's unconscionable, it's its unimaginable how, how this attack occurred without any Israeli intelligence. There must have been some slight rumour. There must have been whispers that something was in the mix, something brewing. Maybe not of the scale that Hamas actually perpetrated in the end but certainly 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 i would think there there would have had to been right. signs and rumors there
1: but, but in the meantime you would be as concerned as i am about
4: yeah i certainly would yeah. i said ser- i don't want to sound alarmist on on radio because it is because people are genuinely frightened by yeah, this I and know. you know from from speaking with them uh, what we can hope is that the existing Western powers that are there, the US, the UK, the European Union, try to restore some degree of stability to the situation. Uh, and they can do that through diplomatic efforts. They can do that by the lights of Anthony Blinken. A lot rests on his performance. He was in the Middle East for his fourth trip uh, since the war began last week. A lot rests on him and a lot rests on America here. So we are kind of depending on them to keep the peace.
1: Speaking of America, those of us who enjoy American politics, our focus is definitely on a very, very cold, I think it's minus 23 in Iowa yeah. at, uh, at the moment. And uh, Donald Trump, again, of course, the star of the show. He's he?
4: incredible. He's, he's just a phenomenal individual. And I'm not saying that in admiration of the man, but he seems to defy logic every time it, it comes up against him. So just outline the situation here, What we have here is something called the Iowa Caucus. So, for people who aren't familiar, in the presidential race in the US, you have both parties. Will select their candidate. Joe Biden is a shoe in for candidate of the Democratic Party, so there isn't as much attention being placed to him. Donald Trump is the overwhelming favourite to take the Republican nomination, but he is being challenged, and challenged in this instance by South, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Governor of Florida Ron DeSantis. They are his two rival running mates. So, voters will get together, Republican Party members will get together in Iowa this evening, a limited number of them because of the weather, because the conditions are so poor and that will affect turnout and that will have implications I think in particular for Nikki Haley, her supporters are seen as slightly less likely to turn out vis-a-vis DeSantis and Trump. Uh, but anyway, you have these voters turning out, they will select their preferred candidate uh, and he will go forward to the next state. The next state is New Hampshire uh, followed by a I Think Nikki Haley's home state hmm. of South Carolina, so it's a really interesting process. And
1: while Nikki Haley seems to be sort of in second place ish, um, they're really not anywhere near close no, they're is, nowhere. Is I it mean,
4: 80 something percent, is yeah, it? And, and and Haley is trailing on 20 percent. I mean, right. she's a good this this is a race for second place, effectively. Right. Trump has this wrapped up, and many would say he has the Republican nomination, bar an absolute. Uh, bombshell revelation barring ill health and it doesn't look like it because Trump looks as energetic as ever Uh, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican candidate when the Republican convention takes place And he's using
1: his various trials and tribulations indeed
4: uh, in a positive way Would Would you explain how he's managing to He do is. That. It's, it's political show business, Fran, I, I think, was how I describe it. He has skillfully used his, his legal imbroglios and his legal uh, trials to kind of showcase himself and put himself up there as a defender of democracy. So he has actually managed somehow to turn the argument on his head. You have. These prosecutors like Attorney General Letitia James accusing Trump of trampling on democracy, of uh, defying democratic uh, democratic rules and procedures. Trump has painted himself as the victim. He has somehow put himself as the victim in all of this uh, and that he is being the one prosecuted. And sure enough, it's working a charm. His voters are flocking back to him in in overwhelming numbers. Now. These are hardline Trump supporters, mm. it must be admitted, and they were always going to support him through thick and thin. Whether it's enough to convince the, and I've mentioned it before, the suburban soccer mom or the mm. middle ground voter... Uh, and, and he will need that. And he, he will need succeed. those voters, Will you, you tell... I mean, I, I, I realise
1: what he's doing with the trials. Yeah. Stuff, but I had no notion until you told me about funding. Now, w- funding for an Amer- American presidential race... You need colossal sums of money. Huge sums of money. But money poured into him every time he had like the Stormy Daniels issue, any of the trials.
4: Immediately afterwards he got loads of money in support. Yeah, it was, it was almost a sympathy action on behalf of the public, on behalf of his donors, his supporters. They channeled money into his campaign the moment he hit controversy. So as you mentioned there, when the Stormy Daniels affair hit, immediately he raised something like $6.1 million, something, you know, colossal like that. Similar thing is happening now. He was in trial in New York last week for that civil fraud case. Money pouring into the coffers uh, from from his donors, his his core party support base. So you need a lot of money to contest a US presidential election. It's a core part of it. Different different parties and different candidates have different ways of raising that money. Uh, But Trump seems to have found a strategy that is really working perfectly Mm. for him. And are there people who would
1: be I'm I'm careful about my wording here, but so simplistic in their look at politics. Do they actually believe, because the opinion polls are showing that, you know, that he's been persecuted because his polling is so good by comparison to Biden.
4: I think think America at this point is so divided uh, that you have one cohort of hardline Trump supporters uh, and you have another section of... kind of Biden supporters slash kind of middle-of-the-road people, and the Trump supporters are just adamant. They will not budge in their support for him. They are absolutely unwavering uh, and unequivocal that he is the man to lead the country forward, that he is the man to get back in the White House. They look back on his term as president and probably remember the... The state of the US economy, which up until COVID-19 did quite well under Trump at the time. He, his, the economy was roaring. Had it not been for COVID-19, he would have been a shoe in But of course, you could say that for any president, any crisis that comes along. Yes. Uh, had it not been for COVID-19, he would have walked back into the Oval Office at the second attempt. This is his third attempt now. Uh, and Biden is under increasing pressure. And I think Biden will be very wary. He'll be watching this caucus in Iowa with bated breath, because Donald Trump is gradually gaining in support and he is a very dangerous man, Donald Trump, for all his, and I laugh at him sometimes, sometimes he's just plain funny. Other times he can be very dangerous mm. in his rhetoric. We saw it with the Capitol riots. Uh, we saw it with the January 6th insurrection. His his rhetoric can be inflammatory. Uh, he appeals mm. to...
1: Of course, what he would say to you now if you he were here, well, that's all fine and very well, but I didn't bring anybody into a war.
4: Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know. he probably has a slight bit of a legitimate point there yeah. uh, in that he hasn't. He he He's pulled troops out of the Middle East. And, I'm and, also
1: intrigued, Thomas, at the backing from the Evangelicals because that's, yeah. that's, that's interesting is that down to the road versus way yeah, abortion wage, is a um, core platform yeah.
4: and look I Don't even, Trump's you. I'm pretty sure Trump was pro choice at some point in the past. Uh, you know, he was
1: even a a Democrat at some uh,
4: point, a Democrat at some point, Uh, indeed. He has obviously uh, modified his stance to work towards those evangelical Christians, but they are a huge part of his support base. You see how he references God and the importance of God and uh and religion in his kind of in his rhetoric a lot of the time, you know. The, those evangelical Christians are and they're quite hard right evangelical Christians uh, they're quite um, staunch in their views staunch mm. in their opinions
1: extremely conservative
4: extremely conservative yeah, yeah. extremely conservative on on a range of issues not just abortion gay marriage stuff like that mm. as well uh, so it's it's go- they're going to play a key role in this campaign but they will be supporting Trump the question is can he appeal to the middle ground does he have the, the solid solid foundational policies and his policies are probably better taught out this time. He has a team around him now which is experienced yes. and and you can't beat so experience. So the chaos
1: we saw last time around you think he, he it's more organised.
4: I think it's more organised yeah. it's organised chaos this way if you, if you want to put <laughs> yeah. it that way I think he has a far more competent and Uh, driven team around him at this point and his strategy is far more uh, rooted in logic I think he will be a very difficult candidate to defeat for Joe Biden
1: it's, it's very it's it's fa- for those of us who enjoy politics. I mean, oh, it's it's it's, it's to, the to greatest watch. show on earth. We, we, we don't have time for for our historical figure today, but it's an important one, and we'll hang on to it if that's okay. But would you tell us what we should be looking out for because there's lots happening,
4: isn't Well, there's there? loads happening. Yeah. I suppose the first is Taiwan. We should we should mention Taiwan. Over the weekend, a new president elected, William yeah. Lai of the Democratic Progressive Party, uh, a pro Taiwan independence candidate. So. China were absolutely aghast at this. China were furious. uh, And they even rebuked the United States for issuing a congratulations to Mr. Lai after he won the presidency. A lot of dispute about China, mainland China whether it has jurisdiction, it thinks it has jurisdiction over Taiwan. Taiwan sees itself as its own independent territory. And this was effectively a vote for an independent Taiwan in choosing this party. So you had the the rival candidates were slightly more pro-Beijing in their stance. Uh, This guy, William Lai, was adamant or is adamant that he is pro-Taiwan independence, that he wants to lead the country forward in a democratic way. So it'll be really interesting to watch how his, his term in government evolves, his relations with China across the Taiwan Strait, because that is another major geopolitical flashpoint in the international landscape. Uh, you know, we have two wars brewing now. We have Ukraine, we have the Middle East. The last thing the world could afford would be to thrown into another crisis over Taiwan. It's, it's just oh, the last thing. You, for,
1: for, for sure, sure. Who would want uh, that? Uh, where Mr. Macron is concerned as well. Yeah, um, he's, what's happening there? he's
4: appointed a new Prime Minister, France's youngest Prime Minister, Gabriel Atal. He's a 34-year-old. He's a 34-year-old. He's kind of a a political whiz kid which is seen as who who is seen as Macron's protégé to a certain extent and Macron has appointed a very young cabinet a couple of other members there Stéphane sejourne foreign minister uh who is actually a former partner of this guy gabriel attal oh. uh the i think it's the biggest open secret that they've broken up now at this stage but they'll have to work together in government it'll be a really interesting one because this guy is young he's ambitious you know I would probably estimate he could be a future French presidential candidate oh. after Macron's term ends. So it was a bold move by Macron to appoint to him to elevate him to this position, but I have a feeling he's going to do quite well. He seems to win favour with the public.
1: Very, very interesting. Just briefly as well, uh, the, the, the rise of the far right in Germany. Is yeah. there an
4: attempt to stamp that There there is growing, I mean, it's it's been a festering issue that has been growing in significance for for years now. The far-right Alternative for Deutschland party, the Alternative for Germany party uh, are the far-right grouping in the German parliament and they have become increasingly Mm. influential in recent years. There are now moves by the conventional parties, by the main establishment parties to... To ban them and to put legal constraints on them, which I'm not sure would work in theory. I think it well, would in a democracy. In a democracy, sense. that's what you have to but of question course,
1: with, with Germany's history.
4: That is the thing, and it's yeah. such a sensitive memory—the memory of Hitler and how he rose up through power, through kind yeah. of democratic means at the very beginning. Uh, there are echoes of, of that in the Alternative for Deutschland Party in their story. So it's a very difficult one. It's one for Olaf Schulz and his for co-leaders sure. to, to really ponder and, about.
1: And the, the rise of the right there, is that immigration? really? It is, it is, predominantly, is it
4: predominantly immigration. Predominantly? It's, yeah. it's, okay. uh, it's stemming from Merkel's policy back in 2015 to let those migrants in. Uh, it all kind of arose from there. And it has it has escalated gradually mm. since then. Yes,
1: and of course the German economy at the moment is in, yeah,
4: is kind in, of flagging
1: in, in, in difficulty as well. Uh, Thomas, always good to see you. And Pleasure, thanks, Frank. Thanks Thank you. Thanks very much indeed. News and information's on the way Thanks, Paul, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. That's the free phone number if you want to chat to uh, Ellie, who's looking after the show today. Uh, you can text and WhatsApp as always. Oh eight three three double one double three double one. You can email Tip Today at tipfm.com. Now there was good news uh, this week. The news of a young man who had been reported missing last week, uh, Keian Morta, was reported missing. And uh, sightings had been reported in the Galties and in, in Bansha uh, as well. And the search for him took place in Bansha Woods uh, over the weekend as well. But the good news is, anyway, that Kian uh, was found. But his story is a remarkable one indeed. And his story featured on a Virgin Media documentary on homelessness, in uh, recent uh, months and it sort of plays into a lot that we've been discussing over the last while on the programme because here's a young man I mean you, you'll hear from himself in just a moment but a young man who was working um, personable young man good looking young man um, not addicted to drugs not addicted to, to drink and still ending up on the streets have a listen to this
7: I'm 30 and I've never actually been able to start my life you know I grew up in care I have no addictions. Um, I do drink, but very rarely, and not when I work, and I work usually five to six days a week. I work in construction, you know, building apartment blocks and houses, and, uh, you know, I don't have one. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of ironic. Uh, It really does sum up this island, I think. Well, my routine for most of it has been, uh, have an alarm set on the phone for about half, five, six. Uh, you get up, uh, you roll up sleeping bag, you pack everything up. You roll and get the bus to whatever site you're going to and then um, you do your day's labour. You come back and uh, you um, have to try to find somewhere to charge your phone. So you might get into a Starbucks um, during the COVID, that was awkward. Um, you can, um, there's a couple of bus stops where you can charge your phone. The point is to get enough battery that the alarm will go off in the morning the next day and then as soon as that battery's charged a bit you wait till it's dark, you lie down and you go to sleep get off the cold hard ground, work hard fucking wander about and then hit the cold hard ground again with a cup of tea and a sandwich and r- rinse repeat it's a slave lifeline
1: well, it's, it's a really remarkable sto- story because we all have perceptions of homelessness, you know often people who are addicted, people with mental health issues all sorts of things and then you you hear from a young man who's working, as I say. He has lots going for him. He's articulate, as you can hear. He's bright. He's personable. He looks good. Um, but he's living on the streets uh, because he, he doesn't have uh, an option. Now, as I say, it plays into the various conversations we've been having over the past while. um And I wonder, what do you think about that? The good news is, anyway, he was missing for a time. People extremely worried about him, uh, indeed. But uh, anyway, he was found and all is good. And I hope that he can get on with his life and I hope he has luck and success uh, on the way for him as well. 1800 938 007. Pat and Ross Gray is wondering about Councillor Smith. I, I know that in fairness to Councillor Michael Smith, uh, he was chatting to, to Ali and the possibility is that we'll be talking to him on the programme uh, tomorrow, Pat, so uh, have no fear uh, about that. Lots in following my discussion with uh, Matty. Uh, This morning as well, largely positive stuff coming in, I must say, where that uh, conversation was uh, concerned. And uh, let me bring you some stuff from earlier on as well. Um, How is it that somebody, especially, but not uh, probably not specifically, if they are gay or trans or whatever, are proud of something which they have not personally achieved in their life? And that is making reference to the fact that the Minister Jack Chambers has uh, come out in the last uh, 24 hours or so and saying that he's proud to say that he's gay and that he's making the announcement. A lot of people then coming on board and congratulating him for his bravery and stuff. And I was just making the point, I mean, I'm delighted for him, and it's great, but it shouldn't play any part in how we perceive the man. I mean, the only uh, thing that we should be considering is, is he doing his job properly? I mean, what he does in his private life, it shouldn't matter, particularly nowadays. It shouldn't even be a... I think anyway, it shouldn't even be a, a source of conversation. But uh, there you go. Uh, what do you make of that? For example, oh eight three three double one double three double one. Let's go back to the phone lines now. And James is with me. James, good morning to you. Good morning, James. Good morning. And how are you today, James? And thanks, thanks for joining us. Indeed, and um, your feeling yes. on the whole conversation around uh, immigration and. Uh, refugees and uh, international protection applicants. What, what is that, James?
9: I think you, you, to find out exactly, there should really be a referendum anyway, but would you not have a phone in and see would people like to have refugees next door to them or in their village, like loads of 80, 50 or whatever...
1: You see, I, I think, that, but, but is that not the issue though? Is it The the issue is, you know, can we provide services for large numbers? But I think by and large if if a single family or a couple of families is in a village I don't think there's any real problem with that. I think it's when, when there's large numbers imposed on a community. Yeah,
9: well that's, that's what I mean. Large numbers in villages that's not able to cater. We have no doctor. We're barely, barely surviving.
1: Yeah. Uh,
9: the schools are full up. The hospitals are full. And there seem to be no let up on it. They're still coming in.
1: And the teacher, the teacher is saying that it's not something that should or can be stopped, and it's something that we just need to manage better. Uh,
9: yeah, but the teacher is a teacher, like he's you know, he, he, he's he's talking a lot of baloney. He, he, he doesn't so? mind. I think I, I think he has a refugee cookin' for him or something, living with him, I,
1: well, he took he took in a refugee for for a yeah, period. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. I, I don't think she's still there, but I, he did for a yeah, period of time. Yeah. And yeah, yeah.
9: Yeah. But uh, he he doesn't know the he doesn't know what the average person is thinking of in the, in the villages there. Um,
1: and how Karen, do you, how yeah. do you feel about what he's saying that it's a free and democratic country and we can't <coughs> give people a veto on who their neighbors are? What, well,
9: if, well, if it is, he'd want to have it changed pretty soon. Why don't you have a referendum and see what's the position? If he if he if he's the boss, like, if he can't change it, what what's the point in having him there?
1: And if this went to the people in the morning, you know, I'm not sure that we could have a referendum, but you could have a plebiscite, or you could have something. Yeah. And if this went to the people, what do you think the outcome of that uh, vote would I, be? I
9: think I think I think it would be that the. Um, I think it would be a great success and that the uh, people that are seasick might see how the people in, Re- in Ireland are thinking.
1: Mm. But in, in polls, yeah. over 70% of Irish people believe that we have to cap numbers somewhere because we just um, can't look after people. I mean, we have them living in tents now, for God's sake.
9: Yeah, but it's going to get worse. There's nobody seems to be doing it. Matthew McGrath is the only man I see that's trying to do something. But he has no power, you know. Mm. There's only, I don't know, like it's going to grind to a heart if he doesn't do something about it. The hospitals are packed. I wonder if I see in a local hospital down the country lately and has any relations in there and see what's there staff have to go through to try and get, get you know, they,
1: they, so they he, he, was, he was a Minister of Health himself at one time, and so he must be well aware of of what's yeah, going well, on. You know? I
9: don't, I think they don't, they don't just, they don't care what's
1: happening. Did you, you know? did you or do you support a political party, can I ask you, James?
9: Well, I would be. Uh, I, I couldn't support the parties that are there at the moment, you know, that's yeah. in power. I certainly couldn't.
1: And can I ask you, who would you look to in terms of doing...
9: Well, I'd like to see a chance. I'd like to see Mary Lou there for five years. Maybe and see what she do, you know. But it couldn't be worse than what's
1: But But their party on immigration is sort of similar. I mean, they're, they're saying... as ah, well,
9: they, they, like, they, <laughs> they seem to be a crime now if you speak against the refugees or against what's happened, you know. Mm. there seem to be. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's I, going to it's going to destroy uh, your rural island, anyway, you know. How you, could you put a? a there was a, in Ulming for the the weekend. There was a big fire there again. They burned the refugee camp but they were camping outside. You know, not the refugees, only the people protest.
1: So, do you think we're going to be seeing more unrest?
9: Oh, I think so. Yeah, It could. <laughs> it could it's certainly on the point of getting out of hand. You know? But
1: I mean that's that's very frightening, James, isn't it? Well, it is,
9: yes. yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't think I don't think the government's going to do anything. You know, but hopefully there'll be an election soon. Yeah. But I you, you, you'd want—I mean, the makeup of—I don't—I don't know. I mean, even if Chevene leads the 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 next government, there's going to have to be um, uh, some form of coalition. So, I wonder how different. <laughs> the policies would be really
9: well I certainly wouldn't like to see it uh, too many too many uh, parties joined together I think is the joke do you like, think the so? three guys we have uh, at the moment they just they can't make a decision you know Eamon and rya seem to be running the show yes mm. they have to do what he'd ask him to tell them to
1: do even though, even though they're the junior party in the coalition, but you think they're very influential. You, th- you think they're very influential, even though they're yeah. the junior party. Do you? Yeah. Yeah.
9: They're, 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 well, they seem to be. I never. Everything he looks for, he gets it. Like the other two ways, they fold up and they give it
1: to him. All right, you James. Know? I think.
9: I, I think. I think. What? what the like Michal Martin, he he was he wanted to be a t- teacher, so he got his wish as a as a big loss, you know. He agreed with everything else. The other two guys were
1: saying, and and, and do you think that sure. because of his ambition, that's why he made the decision to to go in with? Oh, the certainly, rail, yes. do you think yes. so? of course, of course. Yes. All right, James Gurbil Mahagutson, good right. to talk to you today, James, and thank thanks you. Thanks for You're your right. time, James. Thank you. Bye bye. You now back in just a moment.
11: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry
0: In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie You're
1: very welcome back to Tip Today. Huge response to everything uh, that we've been uh, speaking about uh, this morning. So I promise you we will um, uh, go back to it all tomorrow and we will have all of the uh, various Um, characters and personalities that you're talking about on on text and WhatsApp uh, take part in the show tomorrow, we promise you that. Now it's time for this. Tipperary Women in Business on Tip
11: FM. Funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee.
8: Tipperary Tip FM
1: A new slot on the program where we'll celebrate the achievements of Tipperary women in business, promoting equality and inspiring future female uh, leaders to pursue their goals, regardless of gender. Now, the the future will begin with a panel discussion on uh, the challenges and, I suppose, the successes experienced by uh, certain women in business. I'm delighted to be joined in this, I'm blessed among women uh, this morning. I'm joined in the studio by uh, three great friends of ours indeed. Uh, Cleona Marr is with us, and you know Cleona very well from Junction Festival. Michelle Aylward is with us, CEO of County Tipperary uh, Chamber. And, of course, Laura Jones, uh, Sales and Marketing Manager at the Talbot Hotel in Tlanmel. You're all very welcome, and thanks. Thanks for coming in to us uh, today. Um, can we go around? You had the cheek to tell me that you're all nervous, which you know, really <laughs> amazes me with your experience of broadcasting and the, and the like. Can we just go around the table in terms of a bit of background on yourselves? Laura, can I start with you? A uh, bit of background on you and what you've been yeah. doing and all of that.
12: Okay, I suppose I'm a Tipperary native, um, live in care, married with two two children. So kept busy in home life as well as work life. Um, I'm a hospitality professional for well over 20 years. So I will say I'm slipping into my uh, third decade there soon enough. But um, I'm a born and bred hospitality professional. So um, over the years, I would have... Um, I suppose studied and trained in sales, leadership, management and um I suppose operational management. Um so that's where my forte is. Mm-hmm. So um I've been as fortunate to have worked with, I suppose with Michelle over the years um, as a director in the Chamber of Commerce. Um I'm a representative as well in the tourism, uh, Tipperary temporary tourism as well. So and uh chairperson of the steering committee of um, Tipperary Skillnet as well.
1: That's very interesting about you, Laura, because we know one another for quite a lot of years, but you never isolated yourself in the job that you do. You always spread your wings so far and, and you know, got involved with other organisations. Was yeah. that very important?
12: I Definitely. Um, and I think, you know, when you're working in hospitality, you're not dealing with just one sector. You, you know, it's very multifaceted in the respect that, you know, you're dealing with corporates, you're dealing with leisure guests and clients and things like that as well. And you um, know a, a client is a client you know so mm. they come in all different shapes and sizes and it's very important but even from a networking perspective as well and, and that's one thing I suppose I would have found over the years you know through the benefit of networking um and you know working these different organizations albeit in a voluntary capacity you it helps you to you know you're, you're upskilling and you know you're, you're meeting different contacts every day of the week as well which is very important to business
1: mm. Claire now what what about you just a bit of background first of all a
13: bit of background yeah, yeah. so I suppose i'm I'm also a Tipperary native mm. I'm Born and bred in Clonmel, um, but I—I I suppose I, I moved around a lot before I moved back in 2017. Um, I have worked in the arts. My sins for over thirty years. Uh, I started off as an actress. I worked in. I went to the Gaty School of Acting after I left school, and then I, I did, you know, did various things. I was on an episode of *Fair City*, Fran. Um, wow. I worked the wow. in the Abbey and the Gate Theatres, but I got really bored with acting because did I'm you? obviously a naturally yeah. bossy person. So.
1: <laughs> Never. Tia. So
13: I Never. moved into. I moved into directing, and then I moved from that into kind of project management. I, I found that I really, really enjoyed teaching. I really enjoyed leading kind of community projects. And uh, I left Ireland in the 90s and moved to Chicago. So I lived there for five years, which was fascinating. Um, And I worked over there as an actor and a director. And also I taught and I did uh, an amount of project management in the arts. I moved back to Clonmel and worked with Galloglass Theatre Company. Um, you might remember do, a touring theatre company yeah. based here, and from there I went on. They did a masters in UCD in modern drama studies, so incredibly practical um, and very, very useful. <laughs> I say that with a tongue in cheek, um, and I moved and I worked in um, outreach and education in the arts for a number of years. I worked at the National Concert Hall, and then I moved to France in 2005, uh, not for work but for love. Um, and I was going over for a year or two, uh, and then came back 14 years later with a husband and son. So I convinced them to move to Ireland with me in 2017. So when I was over there, I kind of I continued. I worked as an actor, I worked as a director, I worked as a project manager, I lectured in university, and when I moved back to Clonmel, I was really lucky that a job came up in the Arts Centre here in town so I was the Director of the Arts Centre for two years um, which was very, very interesting. It was like a a crash course in the arts in Ireland and the arts in Clonmel and I got to meet a lot of people who were making work here Um, so that when I was uh, I suppose I got the role in Junction in March 2019 um, and it really An excellent
1: time to get get the gig (laughs) A great
13: time to get it, yes, it was very, very in the day for the 2019 festival yeah. and I thought next year now the festival will be all mine <laughs> so I know we're going to talk a little bit later about yes, kind of indeed, the COVID yeah. effect on business and that but I suppose I've, I've had five years now in the role at Junction and um, I very much see it not only as kind of event management and putting on the festival, mm. but because Junction is one of the biggest arts organisations in County Tipperary, and it's the premier festival for the county, supported by the county council, um, it's very much a developmental role. You know, both for artists' careers, it's challenging to make a career as a regional artist, and I feel that the role of the festival is to support those artists, be it in music, and mm. dance, in theatre, and visual arts. Um, but also, it's to, I suppose, be a voice for the arts on things. Like the new town team that myself and Michelle both sit on yes. um, we also uh, created during lockdown we created the Clummel Entertainment and Arts Initiative that we spoke with you a lot about mm-hmm. at the time and we'll be we'll be getting the band back together <laughs> in, in advance of the, the local much. elections this year um, so I kind of feel that there's there's an advocacy role that's very much part of it because And,
1: and the, that's yep. it seems to be the theme that's already emerging here is that you can't isolate yourself cleaner. You you have to be involved with everything else that's surrounding you Oh,
13: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like in, in terms of sort of my role, you're working with the hospitality industry, you're working with local businesses, but you're also working with, you know, the Gardaí, the county councillors. Um, you know, you're, you have an awful lot of different partners as well as the artists, as well as the audiences, as well as the volunteers. So it's, um, it's very it's role.
1: Yes, and some of that international perspective I'll, I'll be looking for in just a little while as well. Michelle, what, what about you, Michelle?
14: <laughs> Indeed. So I think I have a bit of a different background from the guys... Um, I I suppose When I started out, my career, it was to sports and recreation, um, which was very different. Uh, Love sports, love coaching. Um, Moved to Waterford um, after I kind of done my degree and started my working career there in a call centre at the time. Um, And again, because there was probably no jobs here Mm. in Clamell at the time, um, where I was from, went to Waterford. Um, My husband, he came with me. And uh, I worked in AOL, uh, which was uh, American Online at the time. If you think back to the early days of the Internet, where it all started. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Worked there for about seven years. Uh, Again, it's a tough industry in terms of telecommunications, but learned so much, I suppose, and realized that I no longer wanted to stay in coaching as such uh, because I was playing and very actively. I know it doesn't look like that at the moment, but I was at a kind of a, a women's level, at a, we say for a county level, and international level, but that was where it was only going to ever go. So then obviously myself and Johnson, we got married. Uh, we had two children and then decided, okay, time to move back to Clanbell, uh, where I worked in, we'll say again, digital marketing, but also in pilot training. Uh, which was which was a...
1: Pilot a, a training.
14: Pilot training, yes, indeed. So there was a pilot training college in Waterford at the time, um, which was massive. Um, it was a big industry where we recruited students to become pilots, and then they went out to the US and done their, their pilot licence. And some of them, uh, very good pilots, went on to work with some of the biggest airlines in the world, which was great. Um, so then when we came back to Clonmel, it was kind of a change because it was a bit of a culture shock from a city industry, but then went on to work in the IT industry. Um and as part of that role, I suppose, in Tipperary, was mad because I, I had to get out there and network and, and meet local businesses. Um, even though it was IT, a lot of it is selling. It, yes. it is always selling within business. And I remember one of the first times thinking, OK, how am I going to connect with local businesses in Tipperary? And the only way I was able to do it was to get involved in the chamber. Um, and a, a colleague of yours, uh, Paula Kearney, who would have been on the time, was was the president, uh, linked in with Paula. And uh, a few years later, became a director on the Chamber of Commerce here in Tipperary. Um, done that for about four or five years, became great friends with the likes of Laura, would have met and, and and other people throughout Tipperary. Um, so left that and a position came up as the CEO and um, humming in hand and a lot of people had said, you know, you're the woman for the job. At the time, uh, the chamber, uh, which is Tipperary, was uh, originally the Clonmel chamber, which is coming up to 99 years old this year. And um, there had never been a female CEO. So I said, what chance have I got? You know, little Michelle from Clamel or whatever. Uh, so through the jigs and the reels, anyway, I got the job. Um, and I'm there three years now uh, with it. And obviously made some massive connections within Tipperary uh, with terms of the business community. But that's, yeah, so I went from IT to pilot training. I, to I know
1: you for a while. I, did, <laughs> I didn't realise so you had such a colourful past. Isn't that incredible altogether? Uh, Laurie, can I talk to you about the whole gender thing? Uh, being a woman, uh, did that sort of, did difficulties emerge there at any point in your career? Mm. Just the fact that you were a woman, a woman.
12: Not really. Um, I suppose from, from from early days from college, you know, when I was studying um, hospitality management, there was always a higher proportion of female students in the class, than there was males. And um, as the years went on, you know, as you kind of qualified and whatever, and. and graduated and that I still felt there was still more females Um, I suppose I look at my role now and like in my role as sales and marketing management there's 65% of women doing that role as opposed to men yeah there is Um, there would be a high like we were just chatting outside before we came on air, and like I find in hospitality there's still quite quite an equal balance when it comes to the management side of it Do you know like i even look here at the Talbotton and Mail, and you know we we've a new general manager um, michael michael boyle he's male mm. um, but you know it would be 50-50 with the management structure
1: that wouldn't have been my perception yeah. of, of the of the hospitality industry in general now yeah. but, but maybe obviously. over
12: the years it's changed yeah. but i suppose since i've come on the scene and been more aware of it yeah. and um but definitely i would find maybe the senior roles um, do tend, you know, like the CEO roles and that mm. kind of thing in, in 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 hospitality companies and things like that, would tend to be held by, you know, a male, males yes, or whatever. Yeah. But um, I was just chatting this morning there with Michelle, and I was just even saying with regards like the IHF. Um, do you know, like we've been very fortunate to have females you know, right. you know manage that over the years and um, we've been very fortunate. So there's always been a good strong female representation in the hospitality sector.
1: Right. And did you ever come across a barrier personally because you're a woman? Was there anything in particular that ever stopped you from pursuing what it was that you might want no, to do so? I No, I suppose
12: uh, from my perspective I, I would have very much a hands-on approach to my management style. Yes. And you know, so I, I never saw anything as an obstacle and I was willing to first in to throw my hat in the ring for any particular job that ever came up um, but I think that's probably a testament to my own personality and you know th- yeah. the way I approach business um, but no and I, w- I would find even with the company that I work for the Talbot Collection that they would be very much equal opportunity you know I mean um, employers yes. and it's great to see it you know so um, yeah and,
1: and did you set out to do what you're doing or do you know was this a path that sort of emerged for you or what what
12: I I think over the years I suppose I would have been you know um the last maybe 12-15 years of sales marketing driven and that's my main focus Mm. at the moment prior to that I'd been very operational you know with um deputy general management roles and that and you know likely and I've been very fortunate to have worked in France and traveled around and that's the one beauty of hospitality that you have um, it's a skill you can bring as well as around as well. yeah. yeah you yeah. know and I've worked with some of the top hotel groups as well which have been very fortunate and learned really really good skills which are transferable here in Clonmel and that um, so it's never stopped me being a female doing that you know mm-hmm. um, I suppose in the last number of years then I suppose as kids came along it just made the, the work-life balance a little bit different and um, I suppose that's where hospitality has been very good to me because you know we're is twenty it f-
1: more flexible it is, is it, we're a 24
12: yeah. hour business yeah. you know and the one thing I'd say with the hospitality is your seven seven days, you're always on, you know what I mean? So if your functions or weekend events, yeah. so I've been able to utilise the, 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 I suppose what people would see is anti-social hours are working to, 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 to help me, to my advantage. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, I was talking there, Cleona, about my perception of, of hospitality. My mm. perception of the arts is that, in fairness, there's always been a, a gender balance, I think. But is that is that true or not
13: true? Well, it, it's, you know, we were talking about this downstairs. It's a little bit, it depends on the area. Now, I suppose I'm very lucky in that, kind of growing up, there were a lot of very strong female role models here in Clonmel. You know, things like Saveri Hewitt and Carrie Atchison, who course, were mayors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my own mom is a former president of the Chamber of Commerce. So I suppose I wasn't entering my career stage kind of thinking that women were less. But, you know, and also when I started off in theatre, you had kind of Rough Magic's Lynn Parker, you had Druid's Gary Hines. Yeah. Um, but there, it, there's definitely... I mean, I think one of the difficulties is the... Is it a certain stage you hit things like childcare? Mm. You know, I mean, I definitely think being a woman when I was at the beginning of my career, I think definitely in my twenties, I seemed very girlish, and I often felt that I'd fight to make my voice heard. Um, that has changed as I've gotten older, mm. <laughs> um, but I think definitely it's it's I think it's very difficult. For and young were you
1: patronised, for example? Or were you definitely? Oh, right, you didn't even have to think about that, did you? Definitely, yes. Yeah.
13: And, you know, I mean, there, I mean, everybody knows about the kind of the, the culture in theatre in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, the, I mean, yes, it was Much
1: publicised And indeed, there was quite yes. a
13: toxic culture for young actresses, mm. definitely. Um, that is changing and the industry is challenging that, has been challenging that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also, I think there's, you know, there you'd have a lot of very visible women performers, but are they getting to direct? Are they getting to write? Are their voices being heard that way?
1: Mm. They um, almost have to be twice as talented at, at, at times, to...
13: Oh, absolutely! And
1: to get their place, yeah.
13: And and you know, and there's kind of that idea that. Uh, I mean, we've spoken about it, obviously, in terms of Finding a Voice, the Mm. concert series Mm. around women composers. I mean, that was basically started because women composers, their voices have not been heard for centuries. Mm. And there is that underlying feeling that, oh, it's because there weren't any good ones. But Mm. when you listen to the amazing kind of output that you've gotten through Finding a Voice, I mean, there are some fantastic composers out there going back to the Middle Ages and they just get sidelined. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a very strong sense that sort of women could interpret but not create in the arts which is crazy, yeah. <laughs> obviously. And you um, see it
1: with conductors and with concert pianists. Yeah, uh, I mean, how, yeah, how you many know, I mean, They're, they're
13: are, fighting yeah. through and yeah. you've kind of, you've film directors coming through now, you've women conductors coming through now, but this is like the, t- the 21st century, you know. This should have been happening 70 mm. years ago. It shouldn't but even be
1: a conversation. Really, it shouldn't should even it, be, it, be a conversation. You?
13: But I think it's, it's, you know, in terms of my area, um, in terms of sort of arts management, um, there are a lot of women involved in arts management. There are an awful lot of women who are the directors of venues. There are women who are Festival directors, you know, Cork Midsummer and Kilkenny Arts Festival are both also women. Mm. Um, But then a lot of the directorships in the Arts Council are men. So it's sort of, there's this thing of like, there can be a huge amount of representation. What's the level? And and the
1: decision makers are men, essentially. Sometimes the decision makers are men. You know, I mean, at the
13: moment we have a woman minister and the head of the Arts Council is a woman. And I, you know, it's not like women aren't heard but I wonder sometimes about the, the balance yeah. throughout. Um, and
1: Michelle, you said an interesting thing when you were giving us a bit of a bio there. And um, you said one of the reasons why you were pessimistic about you getting the gig as CEO was there hadn't been a female CEO. So you were taking that into account even yourself.
14: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like nearly at the time, it would have been about 98 years or so and not once had a female uh, been the CEO, which was incredible. Um, You know, when you look at even the boards um, and I ran the figures this morning, actually in 2023, all of the, we say, boards that are run in Ireland, only 25 percent of them are female on boards and 75% of them are male. So again, when I was on the board, we would have been probably uh, a lesser in terms of the female. So I did straight away think, you know, how am I going to be perceived here? I think there would have been a number of female presidents, um, but at the time, um, I'm not sure if it was. It would have been Paula, again, but yeah. a female, but again, would have been kind of quite new to it. So definitely, yes, it's kind of sometimes in it's it's a man's world sometimes, especially when you look at powerful business people. And is. how
1: much of that, at the risk of causing a row, how, how much of that is down to deliberately keeping women from these positions or is it a case that women normally have the lion's share of childcare and that becomes an issue? How much of it, or is there a balance there or what?
14: No, I think a lot of it is down to childcare because again, I was a mother with two children. Um, my husband Jonathan I suppose he was the breadwinner of the house so even I did, worked around his schedule when I was working to make sure. So maybe it was, it was the woman's fault already. Um, you know, like Jonathan would have worked all over Ireland and it was never an issue being away mm. evenings and weekends. But as a woman, you had to make sure you could work, get the kids to school. Um, be it by car or by bus that suited you so you couldn't do the early mornings uh, you had to be there to make sure you had childcare in the afternoon organised some of the creches closed at certain times so a woman was limited In terms of it and then as your kids get to a certain age as well I suppose if you're not in a a job that's nine to five you have to make sure that you can do those activities as well with your children Um, even I remember well I don't remember what my mother telling me uh, back in the early 80s when she had me uh, I would have been her first child born and that was in the early 80s mam was working in the boot factory and she had to give up work because the baby was born to be a housewife Mm. So that's only even in the 80s when you think back to it in the early yeah, 80s. Yeah. like, And I would have thought, like, now, you know, w- I'm a very passionate person where I wanted to go to work, but I had to fit work around my schedule. Um, with with
1: to certain to difficulties, it. I would imagine. But definitely, Michelle, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. definitely,
13: yeah, for the children. Yeah. Cliona,
1: well. you were nodding furiously there when <laughs> Michelle spoke about <laughs> childcare. Yeah, that that I, is a huge issue, yeah. is it?
13: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, because I had my son when I was in France. And the it's it's just a really different world where it comes to child care. Women expect to work full time, and the system works for them. You wow. know, I have a friend who's a lawyer, and she would drop the kids off to childcare at seven thirty in the morning. School starts at eight thirty, um, and then she would pick them up at six in the evening. And they had you know, um, so she was able to work her full job. And this, is the, and no this is the norm. There's no big deal about and, this. Yes. And also. That was the state system, so it was really, really subsidised.
1: Right. So cost was not a problem. Cost there. was minimal. Right. Yeah.
13: yeah. Um, now, and also one of the things that's really interesting is on both ends, childcare is supported. So, for example, we had a period when Killian was. Quite small, where he went to creche two days a week, and he was in he was with a childminder for the other two days. But we had a contra- a work contract with her. We paid her holiday leave. Um, it's when we finished the contract, we we paid out the end of the contract. We were absolutely her employer, and you can't employ somebody with an envelope of cash in France which means that women who work in the childcare sector, um, they have huge supports. They have, um, you know, they have libraries of toys that they can go and get. They have access to huge training in first
1: aid, in Mm. childhood development. So they
13: are much better. Was this a culture shock
1: to you then? Because when you came here, you had to look at all of this, I guess. Well,
13: when we we moved back, my husband was working from home and my son was eight. So, in fact you right. know it was it was literally yeah. just picking up from school that was kind of the, the issue I, I didn't need childcare but I wouldn't've been able to do what I did in right. France if I'd been living in Ireland at the time but well, the other younger the women
1: that you were working with at the time you you must have heard from them that this was a huge issue for
13: yeah for it yeah. is and it's it's and I think it's it's sort of I think childcare is not um it's not valued in our society mm. as a profession um, and the people who work in childcare.
1: Uh, yes, it's aren't not seen as education. You see, I, no, and early childhood. Edu- I mean, the French city, are obsessed think,
13: yeah. with early childhood yeah. education. They kind of yeah. see it's like the future of everything is like it's how you yeah. how I you think develop that. children I, I think at a very young too.
1: age. Laura, as a mum, uh, what about that? I mean, and the difficult. Now you say that because of the nature of what you do, it probably was was helpful to you the twenty four yeah. hour basis of your work. But what about in general as a mum?
12: Well, I suppose I'm delighted to be the other side of it now um, mm-hmm. my eldest is 15 and the youngest is 12 mm. so I'm gone past the, the I suppose the mm. creche side of things but I, I remember back in the day how stressful you know and you, you'd you be the nature of my work somebody might come in for an appointment and I mightn't have called I mightn't have booked whatever and I could be rushing with my bag on my back ready to go out the door and next thing someone comes in and they expect your time there and oh, I rush sure. into the creche and I remember back in the day like you know you, you're literally dropping and you know just a couple of minutes before, you know, work started, everything was a rush. You know, there was nearly fights in the house trying to get, you know, bags packed, lunches in and off to the crash. and then you're rushing. It was always kind of like, you know, kind of a rat race, really. Um... It's, it, obviously it's so much easier now, but I suppose, you know, we've been very fortunate to build support networks around us. I have great neighbours, mm. uh, great family members who have been able to help and do the collections or, you know, if my husband was working or whatever, you know, that there's always somebody around. But, um, yeah, I'm envious of hearing about France because that's just phenomenal, you know, and I, I, I totally agree what you're saying there regarding the... I suppose maybe it's not seen here in Ireland. Um, like I, I've mm. seen with colleagues in the office now, or this I have an office full of ladies, and um, two two ladies have kids in childcare, and even with the problems of water in Clanmail, that once the problem with water hits. Phones go, go off, they're getting phone calls to say, Look, the, the creche have to close, you know, and that's, you know, upsetting their day at work, you know, and it just kind of throws a spanner in the works, you know, for, for all the parents in the creche as well. So I'm,
1: I'm learning so much from this. It's, <laughs> a, it's incredible. Michelle, are you ever envious of men in terms of, like, you know, I mean, Laura says there, I mean, the the lady she worked with, they have to up and deal with the kids thing. It's not a case mm-hmm. that the husband generally up and deal with. Yeah, you, yeah, ha- you no, have that face, Michelle. I know. On you yeah, because
14: yeah. I know Miles is probably listening, and he's going to be <laughs> not happy when I
1: get home. Because even if fairness. he's not, we're going to send him a recording. Yeah. Anyway. But, but what about? Are you sometimes thinking? You know.
14: Well, the, yeah. Look, in theory, I think they have an easier life. Sometimes, you know, um, because again, it kind it, it does fall on the women, mm. the majo- huge majority so. yeah, of the absolutely. time. You know, um, you know, even if we saw. Um, a male that was going to stay at home and rear the children which is becoming more popular now sometimes they will get a funny look why are why are you staying at home why aren't yes. you going to work yeah. so our culture around that does really need to change um but yeah no look i i would be envious not just even at that but as i said even just in the whole sports side of things and everything like that it's a very very different um yeah women are, are seen very different i think yes.
1: yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, God, look at the way she's looking.
13: We have to answer this (laughs) carefully. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um,
13: Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, my husband is great and he's very involved and he does a lot of housework and he does a lot of.
1: I love the way everybody is prefacing what they're saying because, well, he. Yes, but. but Would it be equal?
13: (laughs) Would it be equal? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think also there's. um, Even just the physical thing of like. Being pregnant, having the baby looking after the you know yeah. there's a there's a big stall in your career that whole period where you're kind of planning and your 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 mind is elsewhere i mean it's it's sort of it it definitely has an impact on your career because it's impossibly to seamlessly pop out a child or children and not have any you know interruption whatsoever and employers do look at that as well like, mm. you know, they're legally not allowed to but, you know, yeah. but yeah. You know the conversation after the interview door closes. I don't know.
1: You'd wonder about that. You would, would wonder. You, you would yes. wonder.
13: Um, and it's. Uh, I suppose it's 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 sort of. I mean, I think when you are a woman working in business and you're a mother, it, there are, there are waves. You know, there are waves where you're able to really 100% concentrate on your career and there are stages where you really can't give it 100% of your time and effort and, you know, energy.
1: What about women supporting women? Now, obviously in your case, you're working with a lot of women, Laura, and and you are supportive because I know you are. But often I hear from women to say, you don't necessarily get all the support you would imagine you get from a woman who might be in management or whatever.
12: Yeah, maybe it's an industry... Uh, specific comment I don't know like I find in hospitality there that you know and it's even the likes of meeting the ladies like I'd meet Cliona and, uh, and Michelle regularly at, at different events and things yeah. like that and I've always found it uh, you know in Tipperary uh, compared to any of the other places I've worked maybe it's, it's, it's a rural thing you know but I, the support I've always found have been very welcoming and you um, you know, like we've, we've so many great organisations in Tipperary between Network Tipperary and South Tipperary Women in Business that it's breeding a lovely culture out there um, and it's, it's very embracing and they're always looking for new people to join, especially the, the South Tipperary Women in Business um, and, you know, it's, it's all different organisations with all different skill sets, you know, they bring in uh, different speakers to, I suppose, to help up scale and, you know, educate and uh, cross-share information and ideas and things like that, I've always felt it you know, very warm mm. and embracing and you know, that they're always, I mean I know if I ever had any problems, you know I could pick up the phone to Michelle, say in the chamber or you know, and would, Michelle would put me in the right direction or whatever the case is um, and maybe maybe is that more of a kind mm. of a, a rural thing down here in Tipperary or that compared to the cities, and I don't I'm know. I'm just
1: wondering about, you know, women in politics for example mm-hmm. Michelle, I mean there's there's great difficulty in getting some sort of balance there and some of that is down to the fact that women are probably not voting for women either. Um, is, is that something that concerns you?
14: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think we do need a lot of more women involved in it. But again, even if you look at, you know, the, the benefits to women that worked in, in politics, um, Minister for Justice had only recently got in place her maternity leave uh, when she had her first child. I mean, those particular things should already be in place for women to allow her to do mm-hmm. that. Um, and sometimes I thought it is a hold back for women because we're afraid to speak our voice, I suppose, because of, of, of being shot down in terms of what we might say. Um, and that again goes down to mm. women just not having the confidence to be able to and do is that. So it's
1: still very real.
14: Yes, Michelle. yes, I would say so. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah, you know, and I think the more that we have these particular conversations and again continue with our networking events in terms of women and we do need to support each other a lot more. You know, women can be nasty as well and we we're very competitive Mm. as well and sometimes we want to be able to make sure that we are at our best game but I think, yeah, we do need to be able to to support each other a little bit better.
1: Certainly in the arts, uh, Cliona, that I've been involved with over the years, women can be very tough on women. I mean, I work with a uh, a woman singer, and I know that she get a fair bit of flack you know, from other women, like in terms of you know how they dress and how they look <laughs> and all of this. Is that real? Do you think? I well, mean, the term diva didn't spring. Out of <laughs> 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 yeah,
13: I think it's. I mean, w- women performers um, a huge onus is on how they look. Isn't it? It's true for male performers as well to a certain degree, but, but I mean, women same, maybe, women are scrutinised, they're objectified, um, how they look, how they present themselves. I mean, women politicians. you Know, All the time. It's it's very different. Yeah. The man just sticks on a suit and yeah. he's brand, yeah. you know. I, I think one of the difficulties for women in politics is um it's partly that it's I mean the, the vitriol they get on social media is enormous. Um and I, I think that is something that keeps women out of um, and is that ideologics.
1: becoming is that becoming worse all of the time?
13: Oh, I think in general the tone on social media is becoming worse.
1: Yeah,
13: I think it's mm. you know I think there's there's a there's a level of kind of meanness and bitterness and you know um, uh, aggression. Yes, it's coming to across to people, that, yeah. you know? and, and instead like, of in, like encouraging,
1: instead yeah. of encouraging women, then you think is this is this going to play a part in maybe them saying no, we won't get involved in this or that or stuff that might expose me to this kind of uh, rhetoric
12: with regards to social media side just, of things, just in
1: general. I mean, just in general. Yeah,
12: yeah. I I do find exactly what you're saying there, clean with regards to the social media side of things. I mean, you're constantly on, you know what I mean? So, like, as, as businesses go, you know, they're on a number of platforms, you're constantly on. People expect an answer there and then, you know what I mean? Um, whether, you know, it's again, it's 24 hours that they're expecting answers. And when they don't get answers or, you know, there's, you know, as in commentary, I've seen other accounts and that where there's been commentary about events and things like that, that, you know people are mean, they're nasty. I mean, people are often saying now that the likes of Twitter has gone worse, you know what I mean, than what it used to be and things oh, yes. like that. Oh, no doubt. Do you yeah, know? No um, and even, you know, I suppose it's, is a human nature. People are quick enough to go on social media as opposed to pick up a phone and, you know, say something or whatever. But yeah, it's it's kind of hiding behind a kind of, you
1: know, mm. there, there is meaning to the keyboard warrior, you know what I mean? For sure. Just quickly across the table before we, we finish up, but Michelle, if you had advice... For, for women out there, particularly younger women, I suppose, who might be setting out on a, a journey or setting out on a career or what What would you say at this point in time, 2024 Ireland, what, just a quick piece of advice, what uh, would you well say? Well,
14: definitely I would say explore the careers that we thought were never available to women, like construction, uh, engineering and IT Definitely. And for years, even it probably goes back to the school curriculum where these things weren't offered or, you know, to the female students. So I definitely I would tell them to look at those industries and don't be afraid um, and challenge yourself. And I think be nice to other females,
1: which which is very good advice. now what about you?
13: In general, I think to to young women or young men, do what you love. Hmm. You know, I think it's it's very different, difficult when you're at the point of choosing careers and you're choosing paths in life. Um, if you're interested in something, pursue it, um, and and look for help. Don't be shy about looking for help. I think we're like all three of us. If we mm. got an email from somebody looking for assistance, looking for you, you a would help. Feedback,
1: out. Laura, Laura, quick piece of advice.
12: Yeah, I suppose exactly what, what Michelle was saying there there's so much possibilities out there now um, you know there's avenues there that, that are worth exploring that possibly when we were starting out weren't there you know and there's no such thing anymore as these boundaries there's definitely people out there to help and support and I mean that the advantage of doing TY and all those kind of things in the school is great as well to give students the opportunity to explore the different options in that as well but it's always good to pick up the phone or you know networking is great and I mean there's ne- you're never too young to start with networking
1: Right. Well, it's an excellent start to our uh, Women in Business slot and thank you so much indeed for your for your time today because I know you're all extremely busy to Cleanna Mar, to uh, Michelle Aylward and of course to Laura Jones as well. We'll take a break back with more. Thank you and good morning. to you
11: if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today
1: on one 800 Now, Matty McGrath spoke to us this morning on the programme. He warned that he had received word that refugees earmarked for Racket Hall a Country House Hotel in Rossgrave would be arriving today. Our own head of news, Donald Doyle, is at Racket Hall right now, and he joins me. Good morning to you, Donald. Good morning, friend. Thanks for coming on with us. What exactly is happening there right now, Donald?
15: Yeah, tensions have risen, Fran, in the last little while. Um, when I got here, uh, there was up to about forty or fifty people uh, maintaining protest. Now that number grew steadily over the past forty minutes, about an hour, and there's uh, probably uh, sixty, maybe even seventy people here now. Uh, tensions, as I say, rose a little when the guard presence increased. When I got here originally, there was only about four. Gardie, um and they were kind of mingling with the crowd and there was no problem. Mm. But um, there's about 20 now uh, with a number of the vehicles and they've been prevented from entering the car park. Uh, the protesters are trying to maintain a peaceful protest. They're walking up and down and basically milling around in the entrance uh, just to prevent any entry. Um, guardi basically um, are now trying to just keep them off the road uh, so that traffic can get up and down. Um, this, of course, is in advance of an expected move by the Department of Ent- uh, Integration to move the first families into Racket Hall. Uh, as you know, and as we've been covering, there's um, up to 160 uh, men, women and children are expected to be accommodated here over the next uh, 12 months, uh, according to the department plans. Um, and there is an expectation that the first busload of families will be arriving today. Um, so the protesters that I've been speaking to are uh, maintaining their um, uh, determination to uh, keep this protest going and to prevent anybody moving in. Um, if that doesn't happen and, and families move in, um, uh, some of the protesters are telling me that they will continue the protest outside the hotel, uh, although uh, it has been kind of admitted that, look, if if it gets to that situation, they'll be reviewing their plans. Um, so... It's kind of a wait-and-see situation at the moment, Fran.
1: But it certainly is very worrying, isn't it? Just from what you said to me earlier on, are the protesters stopping the guardie from entering the car park as well, Donal, is that?
15: Yes, yes, they are. Now, they hadn't been up to now, because I was here on Saturday as well, Fran, after the protest in Rossgray Town, and the you know cars were moving freely in and out of the car park, and the squad car was, you know, parked in the car park here along with the cars of the protesters, which of course is private property, but you know, everyone was fairly um, amicably mm. using the spaces. Yeah. Um, but as I say, they are expecting um, a, a bus uh, at some point today. Um, and uh, so when the guard of the presence increased, uh, the protesters moved into the mouth of the entrance. They're now walking up and down. Um, so they're not standing in one place, if you understand me, with yes. Um, yes. you know, at arms length or anything like that. But they are maintaining an effective blockade. And the small party has moved down. Uh, I'm sure you know, Racket Hall. There is a, a slightly smaller entrance down the other end uh, that's not used. But there's a there's a smaller crowd gone down to. Uh, I presume to try and prevent the Gardaí using that entrance to get in. And um,
1: are leaders emerging that that are addressing the Gardaí Or is is it still just a general protest, Donald?
15: It it seems to be a general protest. Look, um, there there isn't any standout leaders. I was talking to uh, Michael Donovan, who uh, was volunteered as a spokesperson. Yes. Uh, some of them didn't really want to talk. No, that's you know natural shyness. Uh, people don't necessarily yeah. always want yeah. to talk. Uh, uh on air um uh, but it it it's like it, the, the talk is it's still a community thing and people are it's word of mouth uh, people have been i can tell just by um some people here have arrived straight from work i can tell they're still in their work their work gear and stuff um uh, and that that's as a result of word getting out that right. they're expecting but but the uh, the mood
1: to the mood has changed or is changing, Donald, is that?
15: It, it has changed a little. There yeah. have been a few minor verbal exchanges with the guard. Of the of the guard. But you're, you, know, you know the law yourself. You're not allowed to obstruct a public road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, effectively, the, the, the hotel car park is private property as well. So there's, look, there could be a trespass issue if the guardy were to force this. And obviously they don't want to be forcing a situation and a confrontation. Uh, people I've spoken to are, are largely determined to maintain a peaceful protest and that's like there is a little bit of self-regulation going on when there was a few people shouting at guard uh, other people were asking them to calm down and um, so hopefully it will be self-regulating in that sense but the tension definitely is there now
1: all right, Donald. Thank you so much for that, Donald. And uh, obviously you'll be updating our, our, our news over the next few hours as well. Thanks, Donald. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Donald Doyle, our Head of News there, live from Racket Hall in Ross Grey. That's it for me. Ali produced. Uh, Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now.
0: Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on, you can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 06724111 or Slattery's